One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. nine, nine. Are we on the air? back can you believe it we've made it to week two although last week was the pilot we're actually uh this is show uh number one and uh today is going to be our uh, mxgp preview i'm uh, james burfield the founder of uh, mx vice um eight years ago we we started this project and in the studio we also have uh, mx vice editor who's been with the uh the company around about eight years uh lewis phillips what's up we're back we're back. We somehow. Made it. <laughs> well, actually, I don't even know if we are back. Seeing as this is episode one, is this <laughs> yeah. a start or? Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're clean slate. So um, you know, we need that. We we do need <laughs> that. So uh, we were uh, very nervous after last week's show. More nervous now, maybe. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, it was just interesting to hear the feedback and what people thought because you know we've never done this before. So um, it was interesting reading, and uh, it looked on the whole positive. Yeah. And we're going to keep learning and keep improving. And one of the big feedbacks was less waffle in the intro. So we're doing so is this, well. Is this is this enough waffle <laughs> now? Like I don't really know what the well, gauge is on that, but I guess we're yeah, done we'll, with a waffle. We'll keep waffle to a to a minimum. So um, this week is a pretty exciting and a crazy week for us because we're all off to Argentina for round one of MXGP. It just seems like we're only at the motocross the nations uh, a few weeks ago. It's just gone that quick. I know you've done a lot more than I have over uh, over the off season. I'm stressed out of my mind right now. I I really wish I'd started planning for Argentina like three weeks ago, but it's crept up. That that worries me because yeah. I rely on you to be organised. Yeah, um, we're getting there. I mean, this podcast show coming out of nowhere has kind of added something to my plate, but we're getting there. We will be ready for round one of in, of MXGP. Uh, we do have a flight, don't we? Yes. I, we have a flight, whether you make it, like we discussed last <laughs> week, is up in the air. But I'm there. We I've, pray. I've even got a new camera this week. Yes, you do. Not sure why, but yes, you do. And I'm allowed to be let loose. It's like giving a little kid something to do just to keep him out of the way while the grown-ups <laughs> do their jobs. That's so true. But um, looking forward to this week, uh, we've had La Capelle, um the weekend. Do we? Uh, how do we look at this? How do we uh, assess... The results. I mean, again, it's just it's the last race before uh, the GP, and you've got to think that a lot of the riders are probably not taking that too seriously. Am I? Is that? I like the results from La Capelle purely because they're what I want from a preseason race. Like okay. I said last week, the Italian Championship results like bored me. Like Caroli won, Fevre was second, Geyser was third. Like that's what you expect. But like Hawkstone, we've kind of got some interesting interesting stuff like people slotting in where they maybe shouldn't do and people further down the order than they should be so there's a lot of stuff to discuss and a lot of stuff has kind of thrown my predictions for argentina out the window a little bit so it's kind of a perfect precursor to round one i guess so um on that note when you say your, your predictions what what was a bit of a shock to you 
I don't even know how to pinpoint one thing. Like, I wouldn't say it was a shock that Watson went 1-1, but I feel like that was kind of what we've been waiting for. Like, that has to be a monkey off the back, and to beat Olsen, who was kind of his main rival last year, in qualifying, race one, race two, and the super final, like, that excites me a little bit, because if he's done that now, then how's he going to be feeling going into Argentina and beyond? So maybe he now, instead of being a fourth-place guy, maybe he's going to be uh, Prado's biggest competitor from the off. And maybe Olsen, like we discussed last week again, Olsen's been a bit... He's not had a bad preseason, but it's kind of not been what I expected. So I'm still waiting for him to do something, which is kind of my feelings on him throughout his career. Like, we kind of expect him to be at a certain level, and we know he can be at a certain level because he's won two GPs in his career. But for whatever reason, there isn't that flash. There isn't that attention-grabbing ride. Like, I'm just always waiting for more. Maybe it's because I expect a lot of him. I don't know, but I'm just always waiting. And these results, I'm waiting again, like, at what point do I stop waiting? So looking at Ben, um, it, social media, he seemed to be really happy with the result. He, you know, from what he put out on his status and, and that, it actually meant quite a lot to him. I think, is that because of the banks back from Hallstone? Well, if you go, if you think about it, this is his first international win. Like he didn't win preseason internationals last year. Hasn't won a GP moto. Hasn't won a GP qualifying heat. So this is like, this is a big deal. This is probably a career highlight. So just, obviously, he knows he can do it. He's proved he can do it. We all know that. But just doing it is a different matter, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm guessing just proving that to himself and kind of looking up and going, hang on a minute, this might actually be all right. Might be quite good. So with that result, does that kind of, I mean, does his competitors look at it and think, oh, wow, Ben's on it? I'm sure there's some discussions in the Olsen camp about Ben and probably likewise. But obviously, you're, you have to just look at it all in a perspective because Prado isn't there. And if Prado isn't there, who knows? Maybe Prado would have gone there and slotted into fourth. I mean, it's completely unlikely, but who knows because he hasn't raced those guys. So it's a waiting game. We still have stuff to see in Argentina. Okay. And uh, we've seen, uh, you know, from our side outside of the, the Italian rounds, um, the debut of Mitch Evans. I'm, I'm interested. The first, I think the first Italian championship round, he was good. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, well, it's your first race. Everyone comes out with a lot of, uh, what would you call it? A lot of, a little bit of a boost trying to prove a point. And then he's kept being better. And those were sand races as well, which kind of like caught my attention a bit. And then he's good here again. I'm guessing 114 have improved their package over last year. They've got more experience, all of that. So that's all good. Like maybe, maybe he will actually be something, which shouldn't be that much of a surprise because he was good at the nations. But obviously he's not on people's radars. Okay, so so for those guys who don't know Mitch Evans, where do we expect him to, to slot into the MX2 Championship this year? Are we saying top five, top ten? Oh, top five's a bit much. But then there's like ten guys who want to be top five. But if he's going to be top five, then he's got to beat people like Muse easily. Like That's probably, well, if you look at it like that, then maybe he should be 15th, which isn't good at all. But I think like ninth, tenth, and eleventh would be a solid first season for him. And I'm sure he will be top five from time to time. Don't think a podium's going to happen, but who knows? I guess it kind of, it's just going to be interesting to see where the team's at compared to last year and against like some of their full factory rivals. So, um, Livia Lancelot's going to be kind of looking at this preseason with um, Pichon and uh, Mitch Evans. Where do you think um, Livia's going to see her, her team develop? Because obviously, Lawrence was on the team last year. He's gone to Geico in, in, in the US. 
Um, and you know, we were all, you know, we were all excited about the Italian championship last year because of Lawrence's performance and he was looking like a real title contender. And then we came around to the season and it just didn't quite work. So this year for, for Livia, um, is, is kind of the, the kind of the benchmark for Mitch Evans. He, he's going to have the pressure on him to perform for 114. They're kind of doing things backwards a bit like this is a perfect rider lineup to go into your first season with so instead like to go from this rider lineup to then hunter lawrence and bass Fassa next year would kind of be the progression of things instead we're kind of not regressing but obviously the expectations can't be the same but that's kind of a nicer place to be because say hunter finished third overall last year that wasn't necessarily cause for a massive celebration because he should have been there he should have been higher if mitch evans finishes sixth in argentina I'm sure everyone over there will be like high-fiving each other, like stoked out of their minds because we don't know what to expect from him. I'm sure they don't have a clue either. They're just swinging and hoping they're going to hit a home run. Like, who knows? It might take 12 rounds for them to hit a home run. I mean, they're obviously looking at him to do it instead of Pichon because he's developing and who knows about that as well. Like, points have got to be the goal for him. Yeah. But I'm sure there's just as much confusion about what to expect in that camp. But again nice place to be because there isn't going to be as much of a spotlight on them and all of that. And that kind of a, a spotlight caused some issues last year. So absolutely. And uh, we know. Yeah, we know. <laughs> and uh, you didn't help that matter either. No, I was the spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I had two hour meeting for that one. So thank you very much. Um, but also, uh, you know, you know, interesting uh, result. I, 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 I found in uh, MX2 from the weekend was Tom Viao. So it looked like uh, he kind of bounced back from Hawkstone and um, showed some good speed. Which he did in Mantua as well. So I guess we should expect this. Okay. Dirk Grubel actually said something really interesting to me at Hawkstone, but his career progression could be like Prado's. Think back to 2017, like Prado was a bit hit and miss, small, like Vial. Showed some flashes of speed sometimes, sometimes struggled. Like Vial could kind of do a similar sort of thing this year. Sometimes he'll be good. Sometimes he'll be terrible, like Hawkstone, and won't gel with the track, won't be able to figure out his bike setup, even though the team say he's quite good at the technical side. So it's going to be inconsistent, confuse a lot of people. But it's not about this season at all. This is a making of something. And surprisingly, I am genuinely surprised, KTM seemed to think they might have something here. But then KTM would have, if whoever they've got, I'm sure they could make something out of him, like it's KTM. Yeah. So, so Tom Viao, 17? Uh, not sure, but I'd guess so. Okay. So he's a little bit older than Prado. Um, so he's developed a little bit later, I guess. He might Prado. actually be younger than that. He, last year was his first year in EMX 250. How do you not know this? I, I'm not that big on rider ages. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I thought you knew all this stuff. It's quite a... Uh, it's uh, What's the word? Yeah, I probably shouldn't say that. It's a bit prejudice, isn't it? To yeah. focus on their ages. I like to treat everyone as equal. So when we're looking at this um, with Tom Viao in uh, Red Bull KTM and a step up, is he going to sit in the same camp as Hurlins? Oh, yeah, he'll be on Hurlins' side of the awning. He's okay. replacing uh, Koldenoff and Jonas. Okay. So do you think he's going to have the mentorship of, of Hurlins or do you think they'll be kept separate? Oh, I'm sure Hurlins will give him a high five from time to time, but Hurlins has got his own job. Hurlins is going to have like a 150-point deficit to worry about. He's going to be quite busy. Okay, so really t the, the, the support mechanism for Tom Vial is going to come from Smets. Yeah, and Grubel. Although, Hurlins and Jonas seemed to do quite a lot together last year, more than a, around the time of Matterley. 
I think they kind of worked together more than planned or they had done in the past because Jonas was struggling a little bit at that point. So maybe that comes into play here. They've obviously been right. Well, they were riding together in Red Sand and stuff before uh, Erlen's injury. It's just an interesting concept for me because you've got, uh, on the other side of that, you've got Corellian Prado. And Prado seems to definitely be benefiting from being under the wing oh, of yeah, Corellian. I don't know if... Uh, I've never really spoken to Hurlins on like a technical level to explain what he's doing, but he might be one of those riders who's just like, like Tom Vial goes up to him and says, ah, oh, how are you getting through that corner so quick? And he's like, I don't know. I just do it. Like it comes pretty easy. Like it might be one of those guys. So maybe he doesn't have the technical uh, viewpoint to pass on or not. Uh, okay. So but I'm sure with bike set up and that sort of things, and the KGM teams can lean on each other a little bit, not as much as obviously if they're under one awning, but yeah, I'm sure there will be some uh, wisdom passed down. Okay, so um, let's go back to, because we're, we're kind of chopping and changing between these people. I mean, and it is the MXGP preview, so I want to put this out. Yeah, La Capelle is kind of turning into an MX2 preview. It, it is, yeah. So, um, okay, so where would you expect um, Tom Vial to be at the end of the year? What, what do you think KTM have, have said to him? I don't think they care about the end of the year. I don't think end of year ranking is important at all. I think each individual, in, uh, each individual races I think that's a priority. If he can have one good moto in the month of March, I think that will be considered a success. If he finishes 10th in a championship just through being there each week, maybe that isn't exactly what this year should be because he's, not, he's meant to be building up, learning from his mistakes, having an incredible ride and then crashing out of the next moto just to try and figure out how to, figure out how to maintain a high level consistently. Which obviously, if he's riding twelfth every uh, every week and not really progressing and just kind of racking the points up slowly, he's not really doing. He's not really hitting the levels that KGM want or would want in the future. Okay, it's just interesting from from the the fan media side because you look at kind of what Prado done in his uh, rookie year. You look at what Gert's done last year in his rookie year. Um, you know, when we got riders like how they perform then for, for rookies which come in on a high-profile team, there, there, is, there may not be an expectation from the team, but definitely from the fans and media. Yeah, and it's hard to kind of stay away from that. Like, even us, like, we're going to fall into the trap at some point, and if he's finishing ninth, we're going to say, oh, this KGM rider, like, he's not living up to his predecessors, and he's not doing what is expected of him. But then last year, he was eighth in the EMX 250 championship. Like, if he was eighth in the EMX 250 last year, what can you really expect? Yeah. Like that puts things into perspective. Like, really, he should be in the MX250 this year. So this is just a throwaway year, I guess. And you could say his MX2 career starts next year. Kind of like our pilot episode. This is his pilot year. Well, you know, an interesting uh, result from uh, yesterday was uh, Bosrami, who did win uh, MX250 last year. So, you know, with how Tom Vial performed yesterday, um, it, it, it's looking good for him. Yeah, but then Bosrami, Bosrami, however you say it, that one's always tripped me up. He was fourth in the first moto and looks like he DNF for second. So I guess you can't judge him too poorly for that. Like if he was fourth and had racked up another fourth in the second race, that would have put him right there. Well, that actually would have put him right there with the owl, which kind of throws my theory out of a window. <laughs> I love your theories. Yeah. They're, they're so good to go. Uh, yeah, but see, that's another positive. Like Bosrami, Bosrami, I can't get a French twang on it. But uh, he was destroying Vial last year. Yeah. If Vial's even made up 50% of that gap, that's already a huge gain in a winter. 
imagine what he can do in the next six months. He's only had three with the team. So maybe that's the potential what KTM is seeing. I think they see. I do think they see the potential. I don't think other people are going to see it, but these guys know how to win championships. They know they find these weird riders and craft craft them into multi-time champions. So I think that I don't know how long they give him, but by the sounds of it, they're given they're going to give him the time he needs. That's why they're in their job and we're in ours. Yes. <laughs> Although maybe we should become team managers at some point. Never going to happen. I've um I've I've kind of been there, seen it done it and yep. uh I, I don't recommend i, I don't recommend it to at. anybody um so yeah the, the results yesterday were you know the the, the depth of the field it was not strong what in la capelle yeah yeah but then at those races i don't think the depth is what people are turning up for i think people just want to see top heavy a top heavy class like you've got olsen you've got watson that battle alone would have been enough to drag me there and keep me interested yeah but from a from a you know a fan's point of view or from a you know, riders' point of view, uh, it's good for riders to kind of see where they are against, you know, other rivals or or other riders. And it's also good for fans to kind of get a gauge of what they expect to see this year. But we didn't really get that from the meeting yesterday just because, sorry, Sunday, just because um, it literally was, you know, six to seven, you know, good prospects. And then the rest of the field, unlike Hawkstone, which was, you know, was a little bit as bad as this sounds, uh, not up to the standard of MX2. Wow. But yeah, no, like you look at Evans and was third overall. We got a trophy. Brilliant. Uh, you're missing Prado. You're missing Sinai. Beaton was there, but not really there. Like there's so many guys you can insert above him automatically and quickly you're dropping him down to 10. So like we said the same last week, like it's so easy to get caught up in it, but really it means nothing. Like Beaton, he crashed in qualifying, was battered and bruised, all of that chose not to race just to kind of keep himself in line for Argentina. If that was a GP, he would have gone out. That's how some guys look at these races like they're the be-all and end-all and want to impress. Some guys look at them as just training. Like, it's just, it's surprising to me that so many riders still are willing to put themselves out there and get judged on a race that they're not taking seriously at all. And again, you have to, I find it quite strange that people are racing a week before MXGP. Because if you do have that little, you know, little accident, small crash, um, you do need time to recover from that. And if anything did go wrong, that's a bad time to have it, which would be a week before MHGB. Like, for, for example, Sean Simpson um, dislocated his shoulder in Hawkstone. So that was two weeks before the GP. At least he had time to get some rehabilitation before the GP. But, you know, he was riding again yesterday and all those riders which put themselves on the line a week before MSGP. Do you think that's a smart move? Well, you've got to remember that originally the GPs weren't meant to start until the following weekend. Like Argentina was going to be the 10th of March until political madness got in the way of that. Okay. So at that point, the state would have been locked in and I presume they would have already negotiated with some riders. Sure. So maybe some riders didn't actually want to still go and didn't really have a choice or couldn't get out of it. So I'm sure that played a role a little bit. Well, I think it, as well, this is, I don't know if people know this at home, but the these international races, they pay good money. So the, good. the start fees are, are very attractive for a rider who is probably on uh, a salary from a team. And, uh, you know, behind the scenes, I do know that if a rider's injured, they only get a percentage of their wages. Lots of little different, you know, uh, intricacies within contracts. So when somebody is, is being paid as much as £5,000 just to turn up and race, let alone uh, if, if they're a top contender, what they can actually win as in prize money, it's, it's not a bad weekend. 
give us an idea for start money. You say five thousand pounds, like from what you know, and I know you do know. What would the five? If you're La Capelle and you're paying five thousand pounds, what level of rider does that get you? Does I, that get you a hurdles? Uh, no, I think I think. Does it get you a me? I no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think five thousand would probably get you uh, maybe uh, three to to five. So a pooling. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a bit more for Paul, depending I on the name it, as well. Yeah. So again, these these um, these amounts of money are usually uh, done by uh, a European promoter. So they will, on behalf of the uh, rider, will go out and secure a fee to get those riders there. So they act as the middleman. They work. They kind of help the rider and also help the promoter. So some some riders may deal direct with a promoter, but usually there's a, a middleman. Uh, in Europe, who will will negotiate these fees? So, for example, sometimes in this crazy world of motocross, some of the teams don't even know that the riders have actually been negotiated on. So the, the actual teams get told second. Isn't there some cases as well where the team actually gets start buddy or some help with expenses or something from a promoter? Yeah, uh, because they have to cover um, you know the cost of fuel. A lot of them now won't even take a truck. They'll just come down in a sprinter just to save money. Because, for instance, with Hawkstone last week, you're looking at anywhere between £90 to £300 for channel or ferry to, to actually get, depending on when you book. And then you've got the fuel to get there from Belgium. So you've got to think it's costing those those teams and wages for mechanics. And let's not even go into, you know, the, the actual cost of the bikes and stuff like that. So you're probably looking at, you know, uh, £1,500 straight away just for to cover teams cost without parts or anything from what you know how far down does the uh start money go like if if you're a uh, 15th in mxgp or mx1 sorry uh are you still getting money yeah i think i think it, with these um we're talking like 100 pound though aren't we or no euros. i think we're, we're looking at around about sort of 300 euros so 300 pounds 300 euros so even you know a 15th to 20th in um MX2 or beyond would still get around about sort of 300 euros um, start money. So, so when you when you actually think about the cost of actually putting on these events, um, you know these promoters are, are spending a lot of money to get the riders there. Hence the reason why you know Hawkstone's 30 pounds. I'm not trying to. Ju- this is not a justification of of um, cost to get in, but you know to actually run the actual track on the day and then to get these riders in there, it's it's not cheap. Uh, we're kind of covering what we did last week, but my feelings on that are maybe sometimes it's not worth spending uh, thousands and thousands and thousands to get a hurling zip. Like we said last week, again, just quickly retrack it. The event worked out fine without hurlings because it was wide open. It was interesting. No one knew what was going to happen. So if you kind of sell it on that angle, spend less or not spend less, but take hurlings money and like spread it out a bit more, you can sometimes get a better event out of it. Yeah. But obviously, if you slap Herlin's name on a poster or Pauline and Fevra's name on a poster for La Capelle, that's enough to get anyone's interest, especially native fans. I'm sure looking at La Capelle, I'm guessing there's probably five to ten riders um, who are out because of injury or maybe, you know, wasn't in the, the correct frame of mind or um, physical uh, body because of injuries and, and, and that type of thing, and probably just wanted that extra week. So there's probably more people who were going to be turning up yesterday, uh, well, on Sunday, than actually were, were, were listed. So um, I think we could expect about another, another 10 GP riders uh, that were missing from the weekend. 
yeah, it does seem to fluctuate a bit. Like people yeah, putting their name down and then last minute deciding to pull out like Vlander in a Hawkstone. Yeah. Again, we covered that, but Yeah, I know I'm you know, I don't know the riders that were were linked where were issued or were actually being promoted by like a pal. But I'm guessing there was a good five to ten that uh, were not there because of injury or it was too close to to MXGP in the end. Yeah, because Argentina is a priority, and we yeah. can't forget about that. No, no, we can't. And it's our priority here. So, do we get onto MXGP preview? We do. Um, I mean, we didn't talk about the MX1 results from La Capelle at all, but well, we we haven't. And uh, the other thing as well is the the other interesting thing was um, uh, Dylan Walsh and Osland yesterday, uh, Sunday. You know, both. You know, Dylan Walsh. You know, was on fire at Hawkstone, and then he's gone back to. Uh, La Capelle, and we've got, you know, the results don't justify, I guess, the the form he's in. Would I think that be Walsh correct? was. I think Walsh was testing a little bit. Okay. I think I saw that he was using his British engines or something, or his engines for the British Championship. I'm not sure. I think he struggled to get used to the track as well. Okay. And uh, Usland just had a mess by the looks of it. I think he had two bad starts, crashed on lap one of one of the races, and either he ran into someone or someone ran into him. And then, uh, yeah, I think the second moto was all crashes as well, which coupled with Hawkstone, he's had a terrible preseason in a season that he needs to really prove himself because he came close to disappearing out of the sport this winter. So maybe that pressure leads to more performances like this, but this is a bit of a pressure cooker for him. Okay, that's interesting. You, um, you say that, so you think he was lucky to get the Revo deal? Oh, yeah, it came together late, didn't it? I think he only got the Revo deal because of the whole Mel Pocock thing falling apart. Okay. So had that not happened, who knows where he'd be right now. I presume he would have got an EMX 250 ride. Okay. But that obviously isn't where he wants to be at all. No, not after competing in MX2. Yeah, and next year years. he's going to want to stay in MX2 again, so he has to do yeah. something. Okay. So we, we've not mentioned MX1 riders yesterday. No, we I just keep quickly... saying yesterday, but it's Sunday. So um, you do realize that Sunday was yesterday. I do, but um, yeah. But by the time this podcast goes ah. out, it will. Oh, be... that's quite clever. I know you're getting the hang of this quicker than me. Well, <laughs> yeah, a little bit slowed there, aren't you, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should we? Let's move through the MX One results quickly, right? This is how so we we'll do it. So, so for people out there who don't know, what about they don't know the about results? The weekend, yeah. Oh, they're reliant on you. I was just going to say. Look at the MX1 results and pick out one rider that surprised you. What, from yesterday? Yeah. Coolest. Actually, it was Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, this is going to be a long season. Coolas. I mean, are teams out there paying you know, a crazy amount of money to some of these other riders and actually thinking, why did we not look at Harry Coolas? Tixia, behind him, Coolas uh, was seventh overall, Tixia was eighth. Tixia has factory parts and factory help from KTM. Which baffles me anyway, but he's getting beaten by Kulas now, just to add to the confusion. But he's, he's looking good pre-season. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It, you know, this is one guy which is standing out. Now, is that because Kulas is going 100% and everybody else is going 70? I don't know. You wouldn't typically expect him to do well at La Capelle either, because he seems like more of a sand guy. Like his one GP podium came at Kegums. La Capelle is not like Kegums in the slightest. Yeah. But no, it is surprising. I just think whatever he's taking, I, I, I need to take because he's, you know, 
He's looking really good pre-season. I'm sure the Cavs Screens Honda team are taking some stuff after seeing these results. I'm sure they're <laughs> very, uh, very excited right now. Well, I'm guessing our anticipation level's just gone up a few notches. <laughs> you could say that. What about yourself? Who did you see as a standout from the weekend? Was anybody who surprised you in MX1? I was quite surprised that uh, Paul in one emoto. Okay. Like, like I was saying last week, I've been waiting for him to do something. Mm-hmm. And that is something. I, I can't really uh, knock winning a moto down too much. So is that because we're seeing him happy? He has to be happy. He doesn't really have many options at this point. If he wasn't happy at KRT, he wasn't happy at HRC, wasn't happy at Husqvarna. If he isn't happy at Wilvo, then where's he going to go? Knocking on Suzuki's door and try and get them to start a factory team again? Like, even if he's not happy, he needs to be make happy. this work and pretend that he's happy. And Because uh, aside from bumping up to the factory team, uh, the factory Yamaha team, he doesn't really have many options left at this point. I'm guessing that's what he's working towards. Yes, I would say. In my mind, I think Paul into Wilvo is a tactical move. To, um, to get the factory yes, still. Okay. Because that's all going to be a bit... So we could see a very strong year. 2020 is going to be interesting for the factory team. I'll leave it there. Okay. Mainly because of the riders and... The situation. The situation. Yes, the situation. Situation. But I'll tell you what actually did surprise me uh, more than the results is qualifying. I think I don't have it in front of me, but I think February was 1.5 seconds quicker than anyone on his lap. Wow. So okay. maybe February is now back to what he was before. Do you think he's now sort of fully recovered from the concussions and everything else? Am I allowed to get there? Or? <laughs> well, I'm no I doctor. <laughs> I'm no doctor, but uh, you'd think so. He had, a long t- he had a good amount of time off after Turkey last year, and he doesn't really have much choice at this point. Argentina, ready or not, here Argentina comes. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's, let's look at this year because this right. is really what we want to talk about. Yes. So thank you very much for La Capelle. Yep. It sounded like great, but really... Yeah, that's shelved now. Yeah, it's pressing the reset button now and everybody is, you know, there's going to be a... Let's talk about the people who are coming in um, not quite right. You know, a little bit of... What, what do we know injury-wise? We know Koldenhoff. Yep, Koldenhoff uh, started riding on February the 9th, I think. And what happened to him previously? I broke his, I think he broke three vertebrae in that crash. When was it? December, I think? Yeah, uh, it was around December the 15th. And his wrist, which I'm shocked that he's actually back in time for Argentina. Yeah, that's quick. But he is going to, uh, I spoke to a team last week, he is going to go to Argentina. The goal is to just get points, which kind of sucks a bit because I'm sure that people or casual fans are going to look at his nation's ride expect a lot and then see him in 16th and be like what the hell happened maybe this is a thing maybe if you win the nations when we sing with max what what are you trying to say about max no no no. i'm just saying that with max we we you know uh and and i don't think he'll mind us talking about this but you know after the nations win in in the uk looked unstoppable and you know everybody was so excited about you know last year 2018 about you know potentially what he could do it's just a different bag of fish, isn't it? When in a single, is a bag of <laughs> different oh, no, bag no. of fish. Is that is that a saying? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but oh, we'll just we'll just okay. ig- ignore it, that it and go a, with it. Oh, yeah, was, it is a different bag of fish. Uh, <laughs> winning a single event, like anything, can happen on that day, doesn't it? And not that Max Coldenoff weren't capable, but obviously doing it over a full season is completely different. And I'm sure out of Max and Glenn, we'll see little flashes again this year. Yeah, I think both have got potential to Max immediately. Glenn is going to take a long time. Do you think? How long do you think we're going to see until, you well, know? For him to be 100%, you'd think China's round five. That's beginning of uh, May. 
after that maybe yeah. if not june and is that just because of the you know building the strength up after the injury or is that just to be to get on race pace just to get on race pace like even once he gets to 100% physically then to build up that extra 10% like by the time he gets to the point that he would be now if he was fully healthy everyone else is going to be another five steps ahead of that because they've got race time under their belt at the highest level while he's been just trying to salvage something who knows maybe racing through his recovery or whatever isn't going to help things much. Okay. But obviously his goal is to get points and the team, I'm sure the team would quite like to have uh, two bikes in the top 10 in the points. So keeping cold enough out there is going to make that possible. Okay. So who else have we got who are, who's coming back from injury? Uh, Bob Rashef, he crashed on January the 12th and hurt his wrist. He didn't break it by the sounds of it, didn't break it, dislocate it, anything like that. But he's pretty beat up sounds like it is recovering but slowly like slower than expected and i'm guessing seeing as there isn't a break or a dislocation there's not much you can actually do to fix it but he's going to go to argentina definitely and he was actually all things considered he was okay at hawkstone but i'm not really sure how that translates to mxgp okay like i'm sure it's going to be a similar thing just points 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 so the, the, their mindset going into this is just literally to get as many points as possible, you riders. Yeah. And we've got uh, also uh, Sean Simpson, who's obviously got a dislocated shoulder. We don't know. He seems, I think he'll be fine. Okay. Not He definitely won't be on a similar level to the other two uh, broken people. Yeah. But no, I'm sure he'll be back to his normal self. Okay. From what I saw, he said that the shoulder was a bit tender this week, like in the week between uh, Hawkstone and La Capelle. So Argentina's another week on from now. He should be fine. So a bit more recuperation, yeah. rest and recuperation. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be fine. Like, I, if he doesn't live up to expectations, I won't immediately be like, oh, well, of course. Like, we won't be hitting the panic button. No. No panic button. No. Okay, cool. Um, so we know that uh, Strybos is going to be missing. Yep. Oh, we also missed Hurlins. That's quite a big injury. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he won't be back. For he won't be back. So, so Strybos won't be there. Hurlins won't be there. Anybody else? I've got a list on my laptop, but my laptop's currently shut down. Well, that's no good. We're no. Running, trying to run a professional podcast here, and you're not even bringing the right tools. Yeah, I know. Fire me if you like. Sit wow. here by maybe, yourself. Maybe we should just you know, get somebody to phone in with, with that information. The injury list on MX5s will be live on Thursday <laughs> with up-to-date uh, news on every single injured rider. There we go. MX5s.com. You heard it here first. Um, where were we? Oh, Strybos and Herlins. Yeah, Strybos, Strybos is hoping to be back from Matali, isn't he? Yeah, I believe so. From from what I've... Um, that's a bit of a... From what I've read. That's it, pushing it a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, that's six to eight weeks, but the, you know, the with the injury uh, sustained, it, it, you know, other people could be longer. So either he heals pretty quick, but I guess it's going to be a guessing game. I wouldn't be surprised if he misses that three-week block of Matali, Volkswagen, Trentino, yeah. and then comes back for round five, but that's China. And I know the team are going to do China, but do you think they'd send him there if it's his first race of the year? I don't know. Missing four rounds is a huge blow, not just for him, but also for the team. So Yeah, and then to shed all of the money for a brand new team that is meant to be European only to go to China, that's a... Yeah, so, and, then, and then, you know, the expense of going to China. And then, so yeah, we'll have to, I think we're going to have to... But then if he misses China, he's out. And, and if he misses that three-week block, then can't go to China. We're looking at the middle of May for him to be back. To be back, yeah. And that's a long old time away. We'll be on time. like episode 15 by that point. <laughs> and hopefully slightly better. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. Jesus. Can't get any worse. Um, so also this year, we've got, um, you know, at, at the front, we've got 
February. Let's let's do it this way. So you're you've got a pool of the elite guys. Who do you consider to be title contender, GP win contender each week? Who would you put in your like elite group? For me, higher than everyone. Okay, yep. so um, not that I'm the expert. But I would say... You're very big on telling everyone you're not the expert. I am non-stop. not the expert, no. Hence why you just fire all questions at me non-stop. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, Carilli. Um Strong pick. Yeah, strong pick. <laughs> uh, DeSalle, Bevere, uh, Paulan. Um, I, w- I, I think they're going to be... Yeah, but Jeffrey's not there in, in, but for in Argentina. Are we talking about... Season. The seat? Yeah. We'll just theoretically, that. who would you put in your lead group? Well, Herlin's Crowley are going to be there. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see. It seems that Febre's found a speed again. He he seems to have found that extra second, as you say. So um, that goes back to his rookie year. You know, when um, we were all looking at Villapoto, and up pops uh, this French rookie. So um, I'm excited about that because I think having him in the mix as well will push everybody else because everybody else will have, will have to up their game. I think Geyser's going to be. You know, you know, in that group, and also DeSalle. Paulin? You said Paulin originally. I did say Paulin, yeah. Is he still there? Yeah, I think it's just crazy when you start thinking about this. There really is a group of, of I would say, seven to eight riders which could possibly get third. See, in my elite group, I've got Herlins, Caroli, Fevre, uh, Geyser, DeSalle, same as you. Yeah. And then between that group and the next group, floating in the middle, I've got Paulin with a massive question mark next to his no, name. No, I think... I've- I really expect him. I think he could surprise a few people this year. Yeah, but when you say surprise, surprise as in, as in take that next step. What is? Yeah, but I've wrote about this over the weekend. Like, what is the next step? Because people expect him to be winning GPs. I don't think they do anymore because of the last couple of years. I think people expect him to be a you know a top five with the odd, um, you know, brilliance in a, in a race. But I, I genuinely think that with a you know if he's happy with a bit of confidence in his you know, with the results, what he's getting. I think you could see him, you know, he could easily be around the top three. In a championship or each week? Each week. I think that's the big thing. Like, last year he had podiums and then the next week he'd be riding around in 15. I think from a team manager's point of view or a sponsor's point of view, rather than step up and win races, I would want him to just bat, like, kind of high point that he's comfortable with, which is finishing third overall, second overall. Just try and do that consistently. like. It's for random 15ths that are causing team managers to punch holes in the wall. <laughs> Not that anyone's done that, but... Can you imagine, though? Oh, wow. So I, I genuinely think that, um, you know, a happy Paulan is, is top three every week. But I feel like we've, just, we've been down this road before. Of course like, we have. But the, like when he first moved to Husqvarna after going to HRC, it was the happy Paulin. Yeah, to prove people yep. wrong and we're, happy, we're here like, again. He's happy. Oh, he's gone to HRC. He's happy. Like, fool me once. But you have said that there's... You know, he, you know, he's been to Kawasaki, he's been to Honda, he's been to, you know... His back's up against the wall. He's fine. Yeah, he's... I mean, we've only got KTM. And he we, won't go there. No. So this is not last chance saloon, but this is possibly the best path he's got to get him back on a factory bike, I would think. And he's... If you're saying that the, the wheels are in motion for him to go to factory Yamaha. This is the first time that he's got a bit of adversity against him as well, in the sense that he's not on a full factory team. He hasn't got, well, I'm sure he's got everything that he needs, but obviously compared to Husqvarna or whatever, this isn't a full factory team. So make of that what you want. So maybe that drives him a little more and gives him that little spark. 
like you say, he wants to prove a point. Maybe yeah. he wants to get on the factory Yamaha team. So all of these little driving factors might give him something, but even if it gives him something, I don't know where he goes. But like, if he beats Geyser consistently, is that considered a success? I feel like people want more from him, but fair or not, I feel like people expect a lot. And that was right five years ago. Now, I don't really know. I think maybe it's time to like realign our expectations and put him at the back of this group of five riders. And then if he occasionally finishes third or fourth, great. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I, I, I genuinely... I feel like I've just blown your mind. <laughs> you, you, you've blown, you put a bit of a dampener on it because I actually think, I think, uh, you know, I think I'll, I'll definitely pick him for my MX manager team, which we'll talk about later. But um, he's, he's definitely one who I think can come out all guns blazing in Argentina. They've had a decent preseason, uh, no injuries. Yeah, no setbacks at all. And they've been testing early. I mean, you've, you've seen the Wilvo facility. I mean, it's mind-blowing. He's, so uh, he's got his bezzy mate, Tonus, under the same tent. Yeah, I mean... That it, should make him happy. It couldn't be set up any better. I mean, the facilities they have, the budget they have, everything that they have within that team, the expertise, um, you know, anything he wants... Whether it's whether that team's a factory team or not, if that they will literally move mountains to to find that extra brake horsepower or whatever that you know money is is not really a consideration. Yeah, you can put emphasis on the whole full factory thing, but as far as satellite teams go, like the same way that I have these elite riders and then the second group and then Paul in hovering in the middle, you have full factory teams, satellite teams, and then Wilvo are somewhere in the middle just hovering about because. They are effectively, with the resources they've got, the support they've got, that workshop, they are a factory team yeah. in a sense. And they've also got an owner who's very, very driven. I mean, we both know Louis from, from, from working with him he over the years. He will make stuff happen. Exactly. And, and if it isn't happening, he will figure out why and he will yeah. stop that. <laughs> and that's why I think, you know, for the last couple of years, when, when that team's had that much potential, but yet, you know, they've, I think this is the first year and I, I you know i hate saying this but this is the first year where i think they've got you know two very capable riders um that could do very very well um because they have got that back in they have got that i mean the, the one thing you would say is if they can have a little bit of luck on the on the injury side but i guess everybody needs a little bit of luck on the injury side yeah that just comes into it generally doesn't it but yeah. but anybody on that team you, you have to think you know, with the amount of resources they've got. I mean, they take all the stress, the hassle out of the whole, the whole, you know, team setup and the, you know, the growing pains of a team. They don't have that. They have an amazing facility, amazing bikes. I mean, when you see how many exhausts they've got on, on the shelf, you know, it's crazy. I'd be genuinely interested to put a lie detector on Louis and the Wilbo team and be like, what have you hired Paul in for? Because I'm not sure that, like, are they expecting a championship out of him? I, I kind of, it sounds crazy, but I kind of feel like that's the level they're shooting for. Oh, they're definitely 100%. But I, I would say shooting for a championship. It may be not this year, but they want to, he's there to win a championship. That's his goal. Like, I'm sure if Paulin doesn't win a GP this year, Wilvo are going to be disappointed. I don't think he wins a GP this year. I, I think that that was the mandate. That was what set out in front of Paul Anders. We're, we're going to, we're basically going to up this team. We're going to up the level because, you know, I don't think he comes cheap. That, that's a big investment in a, in a personal well, he salary. Hasn't done, he hasn't done in the past. I don't know what 
like we say, his back's up against the wall at this point, and the last yeah. 2018 wasn't solid. I'm guessing he's probably on seven figures. I just had to do some maths in my head to figure out what seven figures was, but wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, w- I would say, you know, I, I may be wrong, but I'm believing that I... I well, all I, in from gear, helmet, because obviously he's got Bell as a personal sponsor, or are you just talking base salary from I the think, team? I, I wouldn't be surprised on, on base, sal- base salary between half a million and a million. Okay, that's a bit different from seven figures. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I've got my no. <laughs> okay, six, yeah, between, six to seven figures. But, but what I'm yeah. saying is between um, you know half a million to a million. Oh yeah, I'd agree I on think that. that's his base salary. And if that isn't his base salary, then all in with like he's got Bell. I'm not sure if a monster deal is just team or if no, that's a I bit think, of personal as well. I think but... that's probably personal. Maybe um, GoPro. Um, oh yeah, easily then. Yeah, but this is the point. This is kind of what I was getting at. Like, if you compare, put Paul in and DeSalle side by side. 90% of people are going to say that Paulin's a better rider. Paulin's just because of his image, like the profile that he's got. He's, let's face it, he's, he's great on social media. Yep. He, he's got that side. He understands that side and it's nailed. Um, he's, he's, a, he's done a very, very good job at promoting himself, um, working a sponsorship, you know, hashtags, you know, tagging people in. That he gets it. And he's built a real value to himself off, yep. you know, offline as well as he is, you know, on, on the racetrack. So off the racetrack, um, he's very, very good at promoting himself um, away from, from the sport. And he just has this thing about him where people look at him and it's like, that's a star of a sport. Exactly. He's, he has that sort of superstar persona. Yeah. So, Whereas DeSalle doesn't. Put them side by side. Everyone would, I presume most people would say that Paulin is, has either had a better career, will be better this year. That's probably wrong. Like, that's what I mean. I feel like the perception of Paulin is warped a little bit because of all of these weird factors but then again you have to look at both riders and I, th- I think this is an honest assessment you go up to to Gaultier for an interview you do podcasts with him oh wow you're going here <laughs> but he's very approachable he understands it he will he will switch on the pro- professionalism he will be very charming uh he would deliver uh, a very strong podcast or interview you know yep. that will you know, get people talking and, you know, engage and everything else. And then, you know, you know, unfortunately with, with DeSalle, it's kind of, um, sometimes Not so it, much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's more of an effort. That's um, a nice that, way of putting it. Exactly. So, you know, maybe, maybe, and it might be because, um, you know, you have to re- remind yourself that these people have different personalities, but at the same time, it's a job. And I always think that, you know, from we're we're media people, we're supposed to, um, you know, bring informative information to the fans. We're also as part of our job to, you know, promote the industry, promote these brands, because, you know, the, the, the cycle or circle of life within what we do, you know, we help to promote people. They we give them a platform to um, to basically uh, advertise themselves. And let's just say that maybe some riders are very good at that. And other riders are not so good at it, just because of their personalities. Maybe because they're maybe a little bit shy. They want to keep more, you know, private. They don't have that button which they can switch on and off. Would that be a fair assessment? I guess so. But again, it just—I feel like maybe you can read too much into that sometimes. Okay. When you're just looking at raw results on a track. But two questions for you. Okay. I said that I don't think Paulin wins a GP this year. I think he does. Oh, so you'll go against me. One? Or do you think he wins multiple? I think if he wins one, he'll win more. 
do you think that he has to win one before Hurlings comes back? No. Like that's the window where it's kind of a bit open. Or do no. you think he can win no matter who's on the line? And What, 100% Hurlings are we talking about? 100%, just whoever's on the line. Do you think he can win no matter who he's lined up against? Or do you think he needs a little bit of help with injuries to other people and all of that? Uh, situations. So someone going down in the first turn. Yeah. But if, you know, that type of thing, I think he, you know, generally like head to head with, let's face it, he's good in the sand. We've seen him yep. win at Valkensvard, you know, previously. Um, but he's, he, you know, he's not going to beat Hurlins in, no. in the sand, is he? So, you, so do you think he wins a GP this year or not? Considering. I, I think he wins a GP this year. And not only that, but I think with winning that one GP and that confidence, I think we're going to see an extra 20%. Yeah, I don't see it. Really? I don't see it. Because, okay, Hurlins, cra- Hurlins when he's at 100%, crashes in the first corner. I would still put Crowley, Fevre, Geyser, uh, DeSalle all ahead of him to win a GP. And that's a lot of, like, if he needs stuff to happen to all of those riders, that's a lot. I know. But think about what we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah. Last year, we didn't see much. No. But the year before, he did win. We saw one GP win. Yeah. Yeah. I will take that. If you want to take that one GP win and throw it, I'll take the other 24 races. I I, I hear you, but I've seen Simpson win in Lirop. 2013. yeah, so was it 2013 or 2012? Was it the last year they ran? So um, well, I'm not going to argue with you because you know way more than me. But and and then we've seen him win. Was it Assen? What in 2015? Yeah, yeah. So we've seen that a rider can do it in 13, 15, same two years. So I can't rule out that Paul Lamb. I'll, I'll rule it out. Okay, I'm going to get shouted at in Argentina. Okay, but just remember when he does win, I will be in your oh, face. Yeah. And you now have a platform to like playback recordings and stuff. I can't wait. Uh, question two. Yeah. I what I said about Paulin versus DeSalle. Who do you, looking at the season ahead, who do you look at as more of a threat for success? Or... I don't know. I mean, See, again, this, this is it. This is exactly what I'm talking because about. Because DeSalle was, well, he was the first rider to break um, KTM last well, year, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, and he was third in the points. But the fact that you're debating this kind of says it all. Because I'm, I don't see them as equal. You see, I understand where you're coming from, but I think this is the problem. I think DeSalle is so quiet. You know, he gets about his business on the track and everything else, but you just forget about him. Wow. <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> but I think that's a, you know, he's, a, he's an amazing rider. And, you know. If, yeah, don't backtrack. You've said I'm it. Not, I'm not. <laughs> oh, and he's an amazing rider. And I really appreciate him as a person. And <laughs> no, absolutely. But the problem is he doesn't, he doesn't promote himself. Still, though, I think DeSalle, on paper, is in a better position to win a GP this year than Paul in, and a better position to finish higher in the points. And I have facts to back that up. Because yeah, just I, look I, at last year. I can't argue with you. I, I can't argue with that on, on that one. I'm not, and I'm not arguing with you because, again, you're the expert and I'm just a host. You did say earlier that we're both media people. I am. I don't know what you are. <laughs> I don't know what I am either. But DeSalle. What do you think you'll get from DeSalle this year then? Does DeSalle win a GP? I yeah. guess if you say Paulin doesn't. Yeah. Cool, you're just handing out GP wins left, right and centre, aren't you? I am. And the only reason why I say this is because um, the pressure's going to be on Hurlins when he comes back. Yep. So he's going to have to... And we, we know he can handle pressure, but at the same time, he's going to be recovering from an injury, which you said in last week's show that it was, you know, it could be as bad as bogus. No, it could be if he comes back too soon, rushes it, and then causes more damage. Okay. So there is the potential for it to escalate. So That's he, kind of putting a negative spin on it, yeah, but yeah. I'm not putting, yeah. But at the end of the day, he doesn't want to rush it because what could turn out to be 
150 points could go to basically end the season. True. So at the same time, he's got that on his, his mindset, I'm guessing. Yep. Um, he's looking at this year as, you know, I might not be winning the World Championship this year. It might be too much, but what I need to do is be healthy because there's still 2020, yep. 2021 and beyond. So are we then going to see Crowley looking for his 10th world title? Um, and are we going to see the other riders see an opportunity to step up? I mean, they have got to be thinking if, if ever we have a chance, it's going to be now, right from the get-go at Argentina. I would hope so. But still, I don't know what that turns into because look at the Italian championship. Crowley had that thing under control. He did. So, like, that's kind of... I have... Say everyone was healthy. I would have Hurlins. Caroli one step down, and then the others one step down from that, the others being Fevra, Geyser, DeSalle, and then Paul in another step down from that. That's how I, if everyone was healthy, that's how I would look. What about Siwa? He's way down my list. Okay, way down's a bit of an exaggeration, but he's buried in my but second. That's crazy. Rook, rookie year last year. And he, he doesn't get enough respect, no. Yeah. Uh, again, he's another rider what flies under the radar, I guess. A bit like DeSalle. Mm, not, no, I wouldn't put him in that group. No. Sua does interviews and Sua's like quite good in on social media and quite good at exposing himself and generally chatting. Well, well literally. Wow. <laughs> that took a turn. <laughs> that escalated. Um yep. you've ruined this now. Sorry, where were we? Um But back to the back to the lead group. Yeah. Fevra Geyser, we haven't spoken about them yet. Who does better? Because they're both on similar career paths and they're both kind of coming back from a rough kind of year. Rough couple of years. I guess, because they've had some big crashes over the last couple of years. Who does better? Throwing it at you. Well, just because I haven't seen Geyser uh, in France or Hawkstone. He was in Italy. He was in Italy. You weren't in France, so <laughs> you didn't see anyone in France. I, I wasn't, but looking at what Fevre's... I, I would literally just, you know, if I took an educated guess based on data, yep. then I'd say Fevre. Us. I'll go against you again then. Jesus. Yeah, Geyser. Why? Because we, we've seen it. Fevra, right, here's a question for you. When did Fevra last win a GP? 2016. Oh, well done. That was a guess. I know. I could tell by the look <laughs> on your face that you were just lost. Right, May, uh, June 2016. It might have been May 2016. I can't remember what date St. John was on now. That's a long time ago. Like Before he contends for a title... He needs to win another GP and get that monkey off his back. Like he's kind of, it's been so long now that that's kind of a pressing issue. I would say. I feel like this has turned into a very negative podcast. Oh to, no, to riders. We, we need some f- positivity. I think Fevre is better this year than he was in 2017 and 2018. Okay, and we, do we see him pushing Crowley? We, we do. We do. Occasionally. Okay. Actually, no. I'm going to change my answer. No, we do see him pushing Caroli. I don't think he pushes him to the point where he beats him consistently. Yeah. I think he pushes him. I don't know what, how you want to interpret that. He's going to be right there. But I don't think, realistically, a threat for the title, I don't think he's that. Okay. But I'd, I'd almost put uh, Geyser in a similar group to that. Okay. Well, before we go on to um, any other groups or any other riders, let's take uh, a tea break and uh, we'll be back in five. Okay. The MX5 This podcast is brought to you by 24MX, Europe's biggest online motocross store. There are hundreds of your favorite brands at discounted prices, so head over to 24MX.com to shop now. Welcome back. Thank you. Fresh from a tea break. 
a long, long, long tea break. It wasn't that long. Anyway, so um, just before uh, the break, we were talking about uh, the group of riders and we were talking about, uh, you know, the, the name came up of Tim Geyser, who, um, you know, former world champion. He could be there or thereabouts pushing that group of people who we believe, well, you believe above him is Herlins and Caroli, which is, I guess, a fair assessment. Yeah, I think he's the most likely to challenge. Well, taking Herlins out of it because we don't know. I think he's the most likely to challenge Caroli. I'm not, I'm not like 100% sold on that, but I think because he was quite consistent last year. But then at the same time, he was kind of coming back to 100%. So I'm not sure. He's had a healthy off-season, something he hasn't had in two years. Obviously, there was the Monster Cup incident and then the Jaw incident last year. So now that he's back to 100%, supposedly healthy and everything, does that mean we get the flashes of speed back? Like the ones where he either shocked people or crashed his brains out? And how does that go? Like, if he's going to crash his brains out from time to time, then that's not going to win well. But then if he's still the conservative Tim Geyser, that may not do much for him in the points either. So I don't know what Tim Geyser we're going to get. I feel like the outcome will be the same. Like he's kind of right next to Fevre, as in he's there, maybe not winning multiple GPs, or he'll win. I could see him winning two, three, four GPs any more than that's a push. Do you think, um, you know, based on the last couple of years of injuries to both riders you just mentioned, do you think their team bosses have sat them down this year and kind of said to them, look, let's, let's focus on a whole season, not going for wins, but let's focus on being healthy, being consistent, and let's see where we are. Do you, do you think that plays plays a part this year, or do you think they're just going to say, just go out and do what you do? I'd imagine it's like 50% that, but then deep down they've got to want wins. Like, the amount those riders are being paid, they need to win. Like, that's kind of the whole point of them being signed. Like, Fevra's contract, he signed it the week before his big concussion at Matterley in 2016, and I can only imagine what that contract's worth, because at the time, in 2016, I think it was Husqvarna and HRC were both chasing him. And he ended up signing a three-year deal with Yamaha, which expires at the end of this year. And you can, like, at that point, he was the guy in MXGP and everyone thought he was next in line after Caroli. So you can only imagine how much he's actually being paid at the moment. And so, for that investment, you'd presume it's win, win, win. Especially considering he hasn't done that in two years. It's an interesting um, factor which plays into it this year. I mean... How we've always seen how riders perform in the last year of their contract because they need that next that next big contract. They need to be on a factory team if they are gonna 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 push uh, Crowley and Herlin. So how you know how many riders do we know who are who are coming up for contracts this year? I mean that's gonna play a big part. I think that will play a big part, but then I don't think Fevra can actually try any harder. Like look at his crashes; he's clearly pushing the limits just for whatever reason, the limits that he's pushing aren't getting him to where he needs to be because like, look at the races. Has he actually been close to winning a GP? Not really. Not like he won a moto in Sweden uh, in 2017, but I think he went 5-1 on that day. Like, I don't know. It's weird Like, because he's got the speed. He's a great rider, all of that. Like, the ingredients are there, but for some reason it's not quite working, I guess, or it is working, but not to the extent that anyone wants. So I, I'm waiting more for him, whereas I think the Geyser's still got it. Got what? I don't know, but he's still like, I think Geyser is in a position to succeed, whereas Fevra needs to work on it a little bit, I guess. And Geyser, that's 2020, the contract, is that correct? I 
think so. What, it was a five-year deal? It was announced in Lommel in 2015? Okay, so we're probably looking at, you know, coming up to the penultimate year. And who knows what he's going to do in the future, because he still wants to go to America. I'm not sure anyone else wants him to go to America, but he wants to, so for, okay. all, for what that's worth. But cool. all of these guys are going to be chasing Caroli in my mind. Okay. Or Hurlins once he comes back. But if you take Hurlins out of it, because like I say, we don't know, Caroli is the clear favourite, I think. And if he gets beaten straight up, I'd be shocked. So what I find interesting is the next group of riders, because this next group of riders, you know, have the potential of getting a podium as well. Oh, more than a podium. I'd say some of these guys could win. The guys at the top of this group, guys like Max, uh, Anstey, Koldenoff when he's healthy, Sewer, who knows? He should be on the podium at some point. He's kind of due. Jonas, again, who knows when he gets back to 100%. Jazakonis is just Jazakonis, like a, a mystery wrapped in a riddle at this point. Like if he could stop crashing, that would be ideal because then maybe we'd be able to see what he can do. But for the moment, he just loves a crash. And what about uh, Van Horbeek on the, on the, is it the French Honda team he's uh, signed for? Yeah, SR, is it? I want to say SF, but I'm pretty sure it's SR. But yeah, uh, SR Honda. Who knows? Like, I'm actually surprised they're going to Argentina because it's late. The deal was done. Like, everyone knows just how much it. Like, we know how much it costs to go to Argentina. Yeah, I mean that's a huge investment. If you look at, um, they're probably getting uh, probably 200 kilos free, maybe. Yeah. From um, uh, paid for by yeah, Ustream. Ustream do help the teams. Depending, they on do the help them. If you, if you don't know that behind the scenes, then uh, then Ustream do help the teams, um, especially based on where they place within the championship the previous year. So those riders do get help. Um, however, you've still got um, the flights, the hotels, um, and that's not just for the riders. This is for, you depend on whether the, the team manager is going, whether yep. the mechanics go in, uh, depending on how big the team is, will the engine guy be going? Uh, so suddenly when we start to look at the, the bigger picture of, of going, I would say probably, you know, I think you're probably looking as a team, you're probably looking around about 10,000 per, per rider maybe. Maybe 18000 for the for the two. Yeah, that sounds know. like a lot of money. It is a lot of money, yeah. I'd love to know the inner workings of that deal because we kind of know the rough figure that he wanted from a team to race this year. Yeah. And it was a lot. Like I know a lot of teams kind of looked at that number and were like, shrugged their shoulders, like, what do you expect us to do? Especially when you look at like the figure that some other riders, like yeah. Jazakonis, are riding for. And yeah. I can't see a way that this SR Honda team would have met that unless... Uh, Unless Van Horbeck's got a private sponsor or... Like, I'm not really sure how this whole thing came together. I don't know either. I mean, and I don't therefore, know. Do, do you think maybe there's a little bit of regret there where he, he kind of um, pitched himself out of some moves? And then, because there's... I, I kind of know the figure you're talking about and that, that's a big figure. So I'm guessing that he's not got that figure. I'd be very surprised if he, if, you know, if he was able to achieve that figure, what he wanted what he's asking for yeah i'm not sure what sort of backing this sr honda team's got like maybe they do have a massive sponsor that can foot that bill but then if that's the case why weren't they in gps to begin with so yeah i'm not sure how that all came together therefore i'm not sure what kind of support he's going to have whether he's actually happy whether he's in a position to go for podiums like there's so many questions there he only announced the deal what two weeks ago three weeks ago yeah so did he know this was happening long before then well the interesting thing is um for someone like Honda, they haven't got that uh, kind of backup rider. Yeah. Um, 
So it's kind of a safety net for them, I guess. But at the same time, they would have had all their budgets, I guess, completed in November last year, signed off. So actually, they probably, saying that, they probably would have had their budget signed off in August. Yeah, I think it was August we heard yeah. that things were kind of locked in there, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, I think probably by Aston, everything's done. That's another question I've got, though. Like, say Bogus gets injured, can Van Horbeek move over there? Are the SR Honda team that are putting so much money into making this thing happen for him going to be fine with that? Like, so yeah. many questions, so little answers at this point, and I'm not even sure we're going to get them this weekend. No, I don't think we will. I think it will kind of... I think the only time those questions will be answered is when they're put in a place to be forced to answer, like an injury. Yeah. So at that point, that's when people start asking the questions of, oh, is it a chance that he could switch over? You know, that's a great, great replacement rider. But at the same time, what about the team? Oh, Honda must be rubbing their hands together. Like to have Van Horbeek added to your Honda family when it wasn't planned and to have it happen so late in the game, like this is a great addition for them. They can potentially have three bikes in the top 10 now, something that they've lapsed for however long. Yeah. And also, um, they're not paying for it. No, it's just a nice little, uh, they can watch him go by on his red bike and just not worry about a thing. Just yeah. watch him maybe put it on the podium. No. So that's an interesting, um, that's an interesting situation. But one, more thing on a, one more thing on Van Horbeek. Like we said, the deal was announced late, two, three weeks ago. He was with the team since November, I think, testing for Le, Le 2K. So in the background, was he riding motocross at this point? Like, again, questions. Like, maybe he knew this was going to come together or there was a chance of this coming together in December and has been preparing for that. Or maybe he's just been practicing for Le 2K over and over and over and now randomly uh, shifted his focus to motocross again. Yeah. Which, if he has been practicing for Le 2K and that's it, then might not be the best prep for Argentina. But it's not like he's coming off the couch. And also, um, another good point is that, you know, he's obviously had to do some conditioning work to ride Le 2K. Yeah. So that's going to stand him in good stead for Argentina. And he's got momentum. He's, like you say, he's got plenty of bike time on a Honda. So there are, it's not like if he comes out and finishes sixth, which is, would be right behind that elite group we just mentioned. Yeah. It's not like that would be shocking. No. I mean, the great thing is, is the pressure's lifted from him because no one's, everybody's kind of going to dismiss it because it's a privateer team, privateer bike, so on and so on. He hasn't got that pressure on him. Uh, also, he's going to be looking to prove a few people wrong. Like, I'm worth this. Oh, yeah, he'll want to prove a point. So do you think we can, we're, we're going to see, you know, can you remember... Uh, a couple of years ago, we were seeing Lieber on the, the, when he came out of Suzuki and he went on to the private KTM yeah. and, and that type of thing. Do you think we'll see Van Horbeek just boom? I'm just I'm so unsure about the whole thing. Like, he's been on a full factory team for so long. Like, how is he going to adjust to maybe not having everything that he needs or asking for this setting or this change to be made and the team just shrugged their shoulders and are like, well, maybe we'll, we can have that done in April, but we don't have a budget to make it happen right now. Like, How's that going to go? Because obviously he is a great rider, has gotten accustomed to having whatever he wants when he wants it. So this is a massive like lifestyle change for him. Huge. And he's as much as the team are putting in, he's going to have to kind of compromise as well. But then that means that he might give up four positions on the track, which he'll hate. And like, I'm just not, I'm not sure how this thing's going to go. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch uh, the mindset unfold through this year. Whether these riders, you know, there's, there's a few riders which have had to step down. 
and are on to new teams, privateer teams, that type of thing, and, and how they adjust. Because it's going to be the ones which have that mindset to adjust and, and conquer those issues because those issues can really eat away at you. Kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best, but, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And it'll be really interesting to see who sinks and swims this year, who wants it more. I think if you want to put a positive spin on this Van Horvick switch to a private team, Max Anstey, like we discussed last week, he is well happy with standing construct KTM, the freedom that brings. So maybe Van Horvick's similar. But then at the same time, Max has got factory help. The first question I'm going to ask when I get off a plane in Argentina is find a Honda guy and find out what Van Horvick's got, if anything, if they've got like, if Honda are sharing technology, sharing data, like who knows? Yeah, whether he's got um, some, some HRC um, parts. Who knows? I'm, I'm guessing I'm, no. It's so late in the game. How could he? True. And, and like I said, the budget's already gone. The budgets have already been allocated. The budgets and how would it say uh, HRC had three weeks to try and get something together for him. The crates left last week. Like, so they really, they would have only had a week and a half to try and figure this thing out. Do you know what I always find quite funny? What we don't hear about behind the scenes is probably how many people were taking parts in their suitcases. Proper privateer style. Yeah, like handlebars, grips, everything. Just I'm sure be, he's going to be doing some of that. You've got to, haven't you? When you think about the cost of, you know, everybody's charged through uh, weight and you only have 200 kilos within a crate. So, um, you know, a, a couple of sets of handlebars, some braking discs or whatever. It can save an insane amount of money. Especially for a small private team. I remember uh, in Qatar, what, the first year that Everts had for Suzuki team. And do you remember he had, like, the massive uh, toolboxes and everything, and every other team was just looking and shaking their head, like, who what? knows how much that cost. Yeah, wow. I remember Liam Everts was uh, riding around the pits on a Segway, which Everts had obviously took over from Europe, and everyone was just looking, like, how has he afforded this? <laughs> and we all know how that went. Yeah. So um, it'd be, uh, there's time to talk about Suzuki another day, but it'd be great oh, to see Oh, we have back. some stuff to say about Suzuki as well. So, you know, we, we've mentioned uh, that group of riders, you know, Max Lieber. There's another, Warbeek, uh, there's another Koldenhoff. interesting conversation about that group. Uh, once Koldenhoff's back to 100%, who's going to win the standing construct KTM battle out of Max and Glenn? Because they're pretty much the same guy. Yeah. And I don't think there's going to be any issues there because as far as like low maintenance riders, those are the two you'd probably want. Like it's probably going to be the most easygoing team of the year. But it's still going to be interesting to see who comes out on top, who has the most success. So a couple of riders that we haven't mentioned, um, well, quite a few we haven't mentioned. We've got, um, interestingly, Lupino, who showed some really good progress last year. I mean, I was really surprised. I didn't expect him, you know, when he got the great starts, he was up front. He, he, you know, he was there for quite, quite a while and definitely looks like, you know, the, he's just, you know, become a father last year. Um, again, it changes your percept, like your, your whole outlook because you have to deliver, you have to, you, you have to feed another, another mouth in the family. So I think, you know, being a dad, it kind of wises you up and it makes you a little bit more hungrier. So I'm expecting Lupino to, to step up this year. They obviously made big uh, upgrades to his engine halfway through last year as well, hence the hole shots in the last five or six rounds. But do you think that puts him in that second group? I guess he was there last year. I do, so yeah. Why wouldn't that continue? Yeah, I do think he's going to be there or thereabouts. I think he will surprise a few people this year. He won't. 
be battling with like Max Anstey, Jeremy Suodo, will he? Surely not. I don't know. It depends on the progress he's made over over the winter. It depends impressed. on uh, on how the team is upgraded. Again, like you mentioned, if if they if they are able to get those extra parts and get that extra support from Kawasaki, will it enable him to to have a better bike? I'm sure they have got extra extra support now, and they've got beer, the French company, on board as a sponsor. And uh, obviously, Benoit Patrell's joined the team. Put those two pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, and you'll figure that one out. But, uh, <laughs> Okay, and then, you know, we've not mentioned Tommy Sorrell. Okay, ready? This is the question. Okay. But I've been battling with for the whole off-season. Yeah. Can Tommy sell podium? Ready? Call me crazy. I'm going to say yes. Okay. I'm a believer. And I, don't, I'm, I feel like this could be a very good year. He was fifth overall in Semarang last year, so if you're going off of that, then two more positions isn't that big a jump. Okay. Maybe it will happen later in the year, but I could see it being a very good year for him. A bit of step up, at least. And an injury-free preseason. But, well, he had that last year, but then obviously got to round two. So if he can just get through the first month with some momentum, that would make such a difference. Okay. And obviously we've got, uh, you know, in, in that next group, we've got uh, Nagel. That's a, uh, that's a question mark. Okay. I like how... Uh, I think we said it last week. Like everyone was shocked at how well he was doing at Hawkstone I was, and other. Yeah, he's on a KTM now. That's quite an upgrade from a TM. Like it's going to happen. Put me on a TM at a club race, and then put me on a KTM. I will get better. I'm sure. Really? Actually, I'm not so confident <laughs> on that. But still, you get my point. Like this is to be expected. He's on a KTM now. Like he's. I don't think he'll be battling for podiums, and I don't think he'll be wedged in that second group. Like I don't think he'll really see Max Anstey much but he should be better and at least more of a threat. I don't think we're going to get any advertising from TM, though. Well, you've been trying for a while, so... Okay. Well, I think we've just put that no in, that, in, in the coffin. Anyway, so, you know, we've got to talk, talk, talk us through the, the next group of riders, which, you know, or, or in that group. Who, who are you seeing what could make a step up this year? Awesome. I mean, we've got Strybos, who's out, on, who's, who's out of injury. We've got Bry Lyakov, his teammate on GWR. Um, it looked like he posted some good results the weekend, but also it looked like, uh, on according to social media, he was in Russia for two weeks. He literally landed on the Saturday and, uh, was picked up at say three o'clock in the morning, I think. And, um, literally raced on the Sunday with new suspension, new, new, basically everything. And, uh, didn't do too bad. Are we talking about a third group now then? behind that second group we just mentioned. I'm confused. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. There's a lot of groups here. I'm, well, you're the group leader. Uh, this was your analogy. Yeah. Uh, well, if we're talking about the third group, which is where Strybos, Bilyakov, Monticelli, maybe Jazakonis would be. Do you think Jazakonis is in this group, or do you think he's in, in, in the group above? I think he could be in a group above. If he keeps crashing, then his results will be in this group, because he won't have that much time to recover. He needs to stop crashing. And... On that note, his teammate, Jonas, we've not even oh, who talked knows? about Jonas. I mean, do we see he, him as having a year like Seawer last year? Or? That's the only reason I feel kind of confident in making Jonas predictions is I'm just basically signing him up to do exactly what Seawer did last year, which is 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, all year long. Obviously, but, it's going to take time, but... But he is he is he raced yet? Oh, no. He got back on a bike a month ago, if that. So, and we're not going to see him 
He's definitely in for Argentina, by the way. Like, no doubt about it. He's racing. Sure. But he's racing for, for points. Oh, yeah. He's not... It won't... It probably will... He'll be back up to speed quicker than someone like Bobrashev or Koldinov. Okay, so you think he's going to be in front of Glenn? Koldinov. What? For the time being? At the moment. Yeah. Round one, round one Argentina. I, I presume so. Because, obviously, with the knee, he could have kept uh, his conditioning up other ways. And, like, I think he's in a better position. I think Koldinov's more playing catch-up than Jonas is. Jonas is kind of refining himself at this point, I think. That's okay. kind of the impression I get. Okay. But he's, it's still going to be a work in progress for some time. Uh, Lieber? Lieber is the forgotten man. That whole KRT team just gets underrated, but through their own doing, I guess, in some ways. Okay. But Lieber was actually very good last year. I think Red Sand, he was fifth overall, and that was his third MXGP race. So he could be in the top 10 consistently. I don't think many people would expect that, especially when you look at Anstey, Koldenoff, all these other people. But he should be, and I'm pretty sure his contract's up this year as well. So that's at that spot. The whole KRT team, I'm pretty sure to sales up as well. So that team could change a lot over the next 12 months, depending on what happens this season. So there's going to be quite a few positions available by the end of this year. There's a lot of people riding, um, you know, for either a very big pay rise or a promising of, of new material on bikes oh and i think like four well at the end of this year 14 riders i think it is that seems like a large number but i think it's like around there that are going up to mxgp from mx2 so wow and when you look at the the current top 20 i mean we we're talking about groups when we, we've easily mentioned 20 riders what have the potential of top five? Oh yeah the whole like silly season market is going to be a mess when so, it gets to july so if we've got 14 good mx2 riders going up to mxgp and we've already got 20 people i mean it's going to be chaos next year 2020 and that's going to put pressure on some of these guys to perform right now whose contracts are up pretty sure boga's contracts up lieber desal uh Fevre, but obviously he's safe bogus we've not even mentioned bogus tonus pretty sure his contract tonus, we've not even mentioned wow wow we've got so tonus, quite a few holes in this podcast tonus hasn't raced since the final round, or the Motocross of Nations at Matty Basin. That's going to be an interesting one because he's had a healthy off-season, as healthy as you can be. He's not had any injuries, broken bones, dislocations or anything like that. But where the hell does he fit in after all of that time off? Well, that's interesting because um, on the same post I read about Brian Lyakov, he uh, hasn't raced since Russia last year. That's still, though, that's like half the amount of time that Tonus has missed. I guess, yeah. Like, think about Matterley Basin, the nations. That was so long ago now. Yeah. Like, so, so much has changed since then. The Wilvo team in itself, the last time he raced, Wilvo were in their first year. Now they're in their third year with Monster back in, more support from Yamaha. Like, a lot has changed. Okay. And I'm not sure where you'd think he'd be in that second group, but I think the priority for him has to be to just stay healthy. Like if he gets injured again, then I think everyone's just going to roll their eyes and not be surprised at all. So he kind of needs to prove a point in that respect and also on the track as well. Okay. He got on the podium in 2017. I don't think he does that again. But pure, not because he isn't capable, purely because of how competitive the field is. So on that note, we're going into the first round of Argentina. Still, you know, 20 rounds. Who, do you, who is your top three at the end? At the end? At the end. Caroli wins the championship. Presuming, I'm presuming that Herlins isn't going to be back until Trentino at the earliest. Mm -hmm. I think Herlings gets second. 
as long as he's back by round five, I think he comes back and can pass the rest of them. And then third, I'm gonna go, even though this kind of goes against what I said earlier, I'm going to go with Fevre. Okay. Just because I feel like DeSalle's going to be consistent like he was last year, but maybe that won't be enough this time. And I think Guys is going to be more prone to the odd mistake or off weekend. Okay. And your picks? Um, I'm going to go Hurlins. When do you think he'll be back? I think he'll be back sooner. I, th- I think uh, we've seen him come back before. He's, he seems to be able to recover from injuries quite quickly. He's very quiet at the moment. And I think he could surprise a few people by coming back as early as his round two. I think if he's back for Vulcan Swap, which would mean at worst he'll be 100 points down, he's my pick for the title. But you no, you've just you've just had your no, yeah. I'm just clarifying no, no, my picks. You can't have two. Um, <laughs> I just said what was your th- well, this has got so many asterisks, asterisks, however you say that word, because who knows when he'll be back. I'm, I'm gonna aren't, presume aren't they a French cartoon, asterisks. Oh my god, I'm <laughs> making myself sound like a raving lunatic. You are, um, wow, right? Let's get back to me. Um, wow, wow. <laughs> okay. Because now it's, you're just trying to win on all fronts. James show. No, no, you're just trying to win on all fronts. So you've had your free picks. So I'm going to go Hurlins, Caroli, and Geyser. That's solid. I can't argue with that. It'd be really cool to see. Um, it'd be really cool to see what other people's um, predictions are. So if if you listen to this and you, and you have some predictions, please, please uh, talk to us on Twitter uh, at Motocross Vice. And uh, Lewis, what's your uh, Twitter uh, username? Twitter. I'm at LewisPhillips71 on Twitter. Isn't there an underscore? No, that's Instagram. Instagram at underscore LewisPhillips. Hit me up. Okay, mine's just at James Burfield. But it'd be really good to, to listen to it. Well, it'd just be good to see some other people's predictions. Because... I feel like at some point we could do an entire podcast about why our Twitter is called at Motocross Vice. Again, we'll save that for another day. That could be literally an hour-long conversation about the trials and tribulations <laughs> we've had with that account. MX Vice. Wow. Um, so Here's, I think we're kind of wrapping up MXGP, right? I think we've wrapped up. Right. Two questions. Okay. Who we forgot? No. Who's your? Uh, that would be a good question, <laughs> but I've kind of lost track. Who would be your biggest? Sean Simpson. Uh, we probably should talk about Sean Simpson. Can we, we should... edit this into? <laughs> yeah. Can we put, put Sean Simpson? He's in... actually on my bit of paper as well, above Nargle. Uh, so. Monticelli. Monticelli is the person in that third group who will step up. But you didn't mention him. Yeah, I meant to, and then my uh, brain went a bit sideways. Bobashev. Bobashev, we talked about at the beginning. Did we? Yep. Injury, going to take some time. Boutron, haven't mentioned. Guillo, maybe he'll come back at some point. He's gonna, we know that he's looking for a filling ride. Guillo at the moment is in red sand, pounding out laps, getting ready um, to be ready for a phone call from yeah. a filling. And let's face it, within two rounds, he's going to be the number one filling rider, hey? I think some people have already started to try and knock on that door. Hmm, that's interesting. But, uh, yeah, who else is there? Now Van Horbeek's snapped up. It's got to be Guyo. Okay. Uh, Tixier? Yeah, he should, should we just give up now? Who, who knows about <laughs> I'm still just confused why he's got factory support. Well. I mean, he did win a world championship for KTM, so, like, kudos. Well done for that. But still, like, that's, that confuses me a tad. I'm just confused that we've missed so many people. Uh, one thing which which you know which tells me this year i think is going to be one of the best just because of the amount of riders it's going to be so close okay i've got three questions for you now okay 
list all of the riders who win a GP this year, in your mind. Who are going to win a rider? Uh, okay. Win a GP, not a moto, win a G- okay. an actual overall. Uh, easy. Hurlins? Caroli? Out on a limb so far. Fevre? Okay. First Guy- one since 2016. Geyser? First one since 2017. DeSalle? Is that it? You d- no, and, and Paul Ann. You did say earlier that you thought Paulin was going to win. Paulin, yeah, yeah. That Do it? you know what? I, I I expect Max to win. I was going to say I might add Max no, or I, I, Glenn I, to that list. Definitely. Um, yeah, a fit Glenn Coldenhoff, um, round six, round seven. Um, but that that's crazy. How many people could potentially win? I would shorten my list. Say Hurlings, Caroli, Geyser. And DeSalle. It's been too long for Fevra. I, I need to see something for him to win again. I think he will. It's been so long. And I, I like what I saw at La Capelle. That's given me a lot more hope. But this was kind of my thought process before La Capelle, so I'm going to stick to it until he shows me. Okay, so we've got our end of season predictions. What's your top three for uh, MXGP this weekend? Caroli, because he was so good there last year. No one could touch him there last year apart from Hurlings. So why would that change? Okay. Sal in second because he's typically good at Argentina and it sounds crazy but he always seems to pull it together at the first round and then uh, I think I'd go for Geyser third okay you I'm gonna go Caroli I can't dispute that out on a limb again <laughs> yeah uh, then I'm gonna go Fevre and then I'm gonna go Geyser here's another question for you okay out of all of the MXGP riders, who is going to surprise someone this year? Like step up, surprise, shock people, however you want to label it. I would have said Jonas coming into, if he wasn't injured, I think he would he would do well. Define well. I think well as in, I think he would, I think uh, Jeremy Seaway last year overperformed. I thought he was really, really good. He was super consistent. He showed, you know, glimpses of really good speed and, you know, didn't, you know, he had the confidence and I was really impressed with his 2018 ride. Um, I, I do believe as, as a vice champion and as, as a world champion, but a vice champion um, last year, I believe that uh, Jonas, for me, would have been a, a good surprise package, especially because of the team in the backing he had behind him or has behind him. Who, who do you think? I almost don't want to go for this answer because it sounds like I'm just pro-British people, but I think I'd go Sean Simpson. Okay. Purely because, like I said last week, people forget that the last three GPs last year, he was right around the top five. I feel like if he comes out and gets a top five this year, people will be like shocked and giving him golf claps. That'd be huge. But, well, maybe not, because based on the results from five months ago, that's what he does. We should expect that. Yep. So yeah. I think I don't think it will be a it won't be a surprise to me, but I think some people will be surprised to see it. Yeah, I mean, where do you where do you see Sean finishing this year? I think if he can be top ten around tenth consistently, yeah, that's solid. I think he'll be top five once or twice, and I think he'll spend a lot of time between fifth and tenth. Because the team is is kind of a, it's a new team. Yeah, we don't know much about it, and we, do we know if he's got a factory help? I'm guessing not. I mean, KTM seems to be giving it to everyone. Tixier, Koldenoff, Max. Maybe add Simpson to that list as well. Maybe. That's one to find out this week. Okay. It'll be good. Fact-finding mission for you this weekend. You've got a lot to find out. Another question. This one, you're probably not... You're gonna, you can tell where this is going. Oh, dear. Disappointment. Who's going to not 
reach expectations? I don't know. Who's got the most amount of pressure on them? I'll go. Do you want me to go first? You go first. Give uh, me some inspiration. I think Jazakonis. Purely because I think everyone overhypes him quite a lot. Like, sure, he had that one podium in 2017. And now because of that, I think people expect him to be on the podium again. And I don't think that happens this year. Okay. Um, good. And that was it. That's, you saying good is like the ultimate filler talk while you keep staring <laughs> at your bit of paper. Well, I mean, I, I genuinely don't know. I, gave, I, mean, I, put, I stood on the, uh, what do you call it? I put myself out there and said an answer. What, don't, instead of sitting on the fence like you usually yeah, do? don't leave me hanging. Well, it just makes you sound bad anyway. Um, Can't wait to fly 18 hours to Argentina just to get sheltered at. I genuinely don't know. That's a real tough question. That's a great answer. I was really looking at that. was a great answer. Well done. I know. I think the, the one person who, who I believe has a lot of pressure on him this year is going to be Lieber on a factory Kawasaki. He was going to be my surprise until I changed to Simpson last minute. What do I know? We really don't agree on anything, do we? We really don't agree on anything. (laughs) Nothing. What do you expect from Lieber then? If you think he's not going to meet your expectations? Well, think about it. A factory Kawasaki rider. What what is expected of a factory Kawasaki rider? If he can get 10th, that backs up to sell. Okay. So you think... He can get 10th easily. So you think the, the, you know, the the remit for a, a... you know, a second Kawasaki rider is top 10. He's not going to hit that elite group of six riders. Kawasaki won't expect him to, which means they just want him to be, they just want him to be in that second group, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. Okay. He can do that easily. Okay. His best result this year will be fifth overall again. You seem very... That's just, I just like, I've been to the future. Best overall result this year, fifth overall. I was going to say, you anything see... else you want to know? No. no. Lottery numbers? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it there because okay. the look on your face tells me that you already know this. Yeah, fifth overall. Okay, that's brilliant. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap that one up then for MXGP. I guess so. So, I think one of the most exciting races is going to be Argentina for MX2. Are we straight into MX2? Straight into MX2. Because you do love a break. No, we, do, we, don't, <laughs> we don't need a break. Let's keep going. You do like calling breaks every 10 minutes. <laughs> that's because I like a cup of tea. Makes me reset. Anyway, so I think this year is going to be really interesting because Prado is for me, on a different level. He just looked so good last year. I mean, do you think he carries that? I mean, he's, he's going he's gonna to be carrying that speed and you know, competitiveness into trying to win another world championship this year. Do you, do you agree? If Prado doesn't win a championship, I will be absolutely shocked. Like, the most shocking thing I've ever seen in the sport if he doesn't win the championship. Really? I, I look at him, say Hurlings was healthy, we'd be talking about how dominant Hurlings is going to be. Yeah. Prado will be just as dominant as that. Okay, that's really interesting. So the riders behind uh, Prado this year, uh, we've got Ben Watson. Olsen. Olsen. Beaton. Beaton. But would you say Beaton after preseason or do we just, do we just eliminate preseason? We now? eliminate preseason. Okay, so... If he's going to take time. Remember, he broke both his legs in May. Yeah. So he is getting back into it. Like Argentina might be rough for him, but yeah. then by Matali, he should get the ball rolling again. No, okay. Okay. Um, Sanaye. He's coming back from Sanai. injury. Sanai. Sanai. I kind of like Sanaye. I think maybe I'm, he'd I'm, like I don't it. think that's gonna no, I don't think that's gonna stick. Really? Yeah. Maybe I can start something. No. And Vlanderen. Okay. Yeah, Vlanderen's a yeah. I mean, can he challenge Prado this year? Who? Which one? Vlanderen. What, you would put him as the most likely to challenge? I think so, yeah. He's, again, last year he showed 
I mean, he's going to be another year older. He's going to be stronger. He's going to be uh, more experienced. I'm not there. No? I, I don't put him ahead of Olsen and Watson. I put him alongside them. But in my mind, he isn't the clear second best rider in the class. I think Olsen, Watson and uh, Landerin will be battling for that with Beaton and Sanai like right there most weeks. Yeah. But there isn't a clear second place rider in my mind, which is why I think Prado will have such an easy time. Because, say, Olsen will be second in Argentina, then sixth. And the same, Vlandrin will be sixth, then second. And then while Prado's going one, 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 by round two, he'll have a 20-point lead. But his results last year were, were pretty consistent because, like you mentioned, I think, was it like four or five, like literally four or five races where he didn't finish in top three? Who's this? Prado. It was, yeah, it was insane. I don't have the exact number on me, but if he... He should be more dominant than that now because you're eliminating Jonas, Covington, and Lawrence. So take those three out of it, who all took, well, not all, but uh, Covington and Jonas took GP wins away from him last year. So take those two riders out, he'll win more, unless the others can step up. But interesting, I remember sort of looking back at last year. I mean, I didn't go to Argentina, but I can remember... You might not go this year at this rate. <laughs> I can remember looking at results and uh, being really surprised at, at Prado's results from last year. Come on. Do you see that happening again? Wait. No, I don't see him breaking his elbow in the off-season, having two weeks before Argentina, and then coming in and managing the points. I don't see that happening again, no. No? No. So <laughs> I don't think that's on the cards. So you think he's just going to go, he's going to be 100% hit Argentina, and he likes the track, and... He's going to perform, and yeah. we're going to see a 1-1. One, one. Yep. Maybe not 1-1, one, one, but 2-1. Okay. We'll, 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 yeah, we'll go on, out on a limb and say maybe 2-1 at worst. Okay. Yep. Honestly, I, he's in a position now where when he gets beat straight up, it will be like a talking point. And I, don't, I think he can be. Like, look at Panghao Penang last year. Watson was on fire and had him covered, same as Valandrin. Uh, Olsen in Latvia. So, like, this can happen. I just don't think it's going to happen consistently. Okay, so you believe that we're going to see some MX2 riders take wins, but yep. not consistently? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. And uh, so this next uh, group of riders, because I, I know you love your groups. Yep. What about them? What, who are they? Uh, let's think here. You've got Servalin, Chervalin, I think that's pronounced. Okay. Gertz. Yep. Muse. Yep. Sterry. Jacoby. Uh, Mitch Levens, maybe, based on preseason. Uh, who else have we got here? Bandonic, Pooches, Vassen, Vassen. Jumping ahead, my surprise, my person who could surprise this year is Vassen. Just spoiler alert. Okay. Um, you just mentioned Pooches. I did. 21 years old. It feels like he's been around for forever. His, uh, the final year of his KGM slash Husqvarna deal. But... He, he, he's an early favourite to go to FNH Kawasaki for 2020. <laughs> is that where your money is? That is where my money is firmly sitting. <laughs> that's not rumours you've heard. No, that's not rumours at all. I just <laughs> The season's not even started and you're starting rumours. I can just see that. I mean, is it not logical? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But I, I, think, I think he's going to be... I wouldn't say my surprise because I do expect him to be at that. He has the ability. And, uh, but I do think he's going to be one of the guys to watch this year. He just needs to stay healthy. He can do it. We've seen that. He just needs to stay healthy. That's the only issue. But then the same goes for Sterry. 
the same goes for a lot of guys. Yeah, I mean, Sterry's going to be the interesting one this year because if he stays healthy, if he stays healthy, because it's the last year. But then that's a lot of pressure in one year. Like he's got a lot of boxes that he wants to tick before he moves up. Like he's never won a moto, never won a GP, never been on the moto podium. Can he do that this year? Can he win a GP this year? I don't think he wins a GP, but I think he finishes on the podium. But then who knows? If that Hawkstone speed comes out, we might have something. Okay. But then who knows if we'll see that again, apart from maybe on the odd occasion. So through consistency, who do you think is going to be there or thereabouts with Prado? So if somebody can, can pick up the two twos, the three threes, the two twos, you know, that's still going to keep Prado honest. Yeah. Who, who, what rider do you see? Watson. Okay. That's a, I, I would agree. That's something yep. we're going to agree on. I, f- I feel quite confident about that. Yeah. Because Watson, there was a period last year between from like round four to Lockett when he crashed out. He was so consistent through that period. And then take out the other riders, and that should bump him up to like second, third, fourth each week. He's not really a crasher. He doesn't really have ever have any issues. Well, talking about last year, obviously the years before there were issues with bikes and all sorts, but since he's been a factory rider. But uh, yeah, no, I think I would put him as a second rider, but only just edging out Olsen, who has proven to be consistent. But then, like I said earlier, when we're talking about La Capelle, I'm just waiting for something. Like, show me something, even though he is uh, the only, the second winningest rider in the class at the moment. And you don't see, you know, one person who really impressed me last year was, was Gertz before he broke, was it broke his collarbone? Oh, uh, yeah. So right the way up to that point, he looked good. And I think, was it Trentino when he was, re- he looked really good. He was leading Prado at one stage, wasn't he? Uh, Latvia, he was on the podium. I don't know. I, I think I'm right. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'm I'll, I'll check about, that out. I'm just talking about his podium finishes. But I think I can remember him, Trentino, last year, and he looked great. Yeah, Trentino, when he went 7-14, wow, what a race. You know, when he was going 7-14 in Trentino, I looked at him and I was like, that guy, look at that speed. I can't repeat what I'm going to say. <laughs> but, uh, that 14th place finish yeah, just I'm, stands out for me. I'm coming up with a C word. Um, cool. <laughs> four letters in the air. I like it. So, um, oh, yeah. So mad right now. I am. I'm so angry because I can remember being there. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it wasn't Trentino, but I can definitely, uh, I can definitely remember a few GPs last year where he looked great. Latvia. France, those two stick out in my mind. Okay, maybe maybe it was... Latvia was his first podium finish, 4-3, and then France, he went 5-2. France, I think, even impressed me more than Latvia. Okay. Because uh, if I remember right, that second motor, he was a clear second. Trentino with the 14th didn't really impress me that much. Yeah. Um, but then I don't have the eye for talent like you. Uh, kids, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we call this muffs, but let's fuck off. Oh. Wow, I can't believe you just did that on the air. Yeah, no, I, I think a lot of people would actually back me on that one. Wow, so aggressive. Yeah. Um, okay, so again, I don't think it's as stacked as MXGP this year, but MX2 is definitely looking good. I keep uh, Last year, I kept looking at the MX2 field and thinking, like, once you take Covington and Lawrence out of this, it's going to really suffer. But then I kind of realized that if you replace those with uh, Beaton and Sinai, who effectively weren't really around for a lot of last year, it's kind of going to be even at the front. So that makes me feel better about the depth and the battles for wins and podiums. Okay. And, and with EMX riders coming up, is it, I don't know if I present, uh, can pronounce this correctly, Bozrami? 
I don't know, Bosrami, Boisrami. Basically the EMX 250 champion. I heard someone say it once and it blew my mind. Okay. It's just letters. I'm going to need to work on this this year. I pronounce, I've, I've always uh, fully admitted that pronunciation is not my strong point. <laughs> um, Dylan Walsh. Dylan Walsh I'm quite excited about. Oslid. Oslid, not so much. Okay. So this next group of riders, we're talking, still talking groups. Yep. And we're talking EMX riders coming up. Mikhail Harrop. Do you want me to get on my soapbox? Well, you're, I know you're a big fan. I'm not a big fan. I'm just a believer. I think you've told him and also Auntie about how much of a believer you are. I believe. This is very dangerous waters when you start to believe in people <laughs> because they, they, they end up having injuries. No, I believe. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Ready? Prediction time. Oh, God. Mikhail Harrop ends up on a podium at some point this year. I've just blown your mind. Yeah. Did you take anything before you come on air? No, I've just got a second win. <laughs> You've had one too many monsters today, haven't you? I haven't actually had a single monster today. That's probably because I have run out at Monster Energy. If you want to hook me up, then the next advert break will be presented by you. So you've done, cool now. <laughs> you've done 24 cans of, of Monster in the past month. Yes. Wow. I finished off my last free mod can of Monster yesterday. Okay. Whilst I was working my ass off on a Sunday because the boss just keeps hammering down on me. I heard he's not very nice. He called me, he called me a rude word earlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Conrad Muse. Oh, wow. <laughs> Conrad Muse. Yeah, one of my favourite riders, being from the West Country. One of my least favourite riders to talk about, because who knows? <laughs> but he who has, knows? <laughs> he has all the ingredients to do very, very well this year. Who knows? I, I, I kind of expected him to take a step up. Hawkstone scared me, because that was a bit mediocre. So. But he's in a similar situation to one of those riders who needs to show me. But don't like you don't need to show me that you can you have the speed to podium because we know that. Show me that you have the speed to podium two weeks in a row. Like don't go fourth overall to thirty second overall, back to fifteenth overall, then win an overall, and then not qualify, then show up in WMX for a round and what else? Like, <laughs> I was trying. I was trying. <laughs> I was trying to think of something really obscure to show how all over the map. <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. I, I do expect him to be better, even though Hawkstone kind of put me off a tiny bit. Yeah. He I, should land on the podium at some point this year. And actually, actually, no, uh, him or Sterry, who does better? I don't know. I, I, I genuinely think they're both right. And not just because this is a British thing, but I definitely... This isn't a British thing. No, no. But I genuinely believe both riders have the ability to be in the top three. On any given weekend, yeah. yeah Championship I, I, standards, no. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Any any weekend, I do, and I, and I guess that's going to be the breakthrough this year. With with, you know, which of those two are, are going to be the most consistent? It is just a consistency game with riders like that. Like we know they have the speed, but it's just not happening. Like they just need to make it happen. Obviously, easier said than done, but it just comes through staying healthy. That's literally all they need to do. Okay. Well, actually, Muse doesn't need to stay healthy. He just needs to stay on track. I don't know what you'd say. I don't know what you'd say about that. That's cool. I think we've kind of done our best with um, with MX2 riders. Can we talk about Dylan Walsh some more? Yes, if we, if you want to. I was going to then roll into MX Manager, which is uh, released this week. But if you would like to carry on talking about Dylan Walsh, we can. I'm becoming more 
It's been seven days since our first podcast. In that time, I've kind of started to buy into the Dylan Walsh, uh, Dylan Walsh hype more and more. This is very dangerous for Dylan. Yep. I believe. Like Harrop, I believe. I don't know what I believe. I think, uh, I think he lands on a podium at some point this year. I'm just handing out podium positions to riders <laughs> left, right, and centre. No, I, I, you know, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be adverse to that. I think, I think, you know, which it, would be huge for Rebo Husqvarna. It would be massive. I mean, does that get them more support? I'll tell you what I think. I think Dylan Walsh is going to be like the biggest uh, mover and shaker in 2020 silly season. And he's still quite young, isn't he? Is yeah, he 20? as far as I know, I'd say I think he's 21. Okay, so but, he's he's still got. You know, the, the, if he does well this year, he's still got the ability to and step up. And I think up. he will do well. So do we, do we see him go into to Jackie Mar- Martin's team in the future or something like that? I, I genuinely could see him being the biggest, like the most sought-after guy this silly season. Okay. Depending on what happens in EMX 250. Obviously, there's always a guy that emerges as a champion and then everyone wants him. Didn't work out so well for Boswami, but Okay. So, so are you happy now that you've spoken about uh, yeah. that? I just wanted to say I think he will podium and I think he's going to surprise some people and uh, he'll be seventh overall in Argentina. Okay. That's my prediction. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> just really straightforward predictions here. Great. Um, no waffle because uh, the feedback from the pilot was no waffle. No so, waffle. No waffle. Less waffling. Um, predictions, Um. Predictions. Let's go with championship predictions first. Top three? Top three. Prado. Okay. Watson. Olsen. Blandering right, like right, like two points behind Olsen. And Olsen like two points behind Watson. That's how close I think it'll be in the fight for second. Wow. Sanai. We didn't really talk about Sanai. No, we haven't. Sanai wins a GP this year. Do you remember Sanai's speed at Red I'm, Sand? I'm a big fan. Sanai's speed at Red Sand blew my mind. Yeah. Um, no, I'm a big fan. And a, a new uh, trainer this year. Two things stand out in my mind from last year. Sanai's speed at Red Sand and Watson's speed at Pankow Penang. If Sanai can bring that speed from Red Sand and place it anywhere, he's always good in Argentina. Yeah. But obviously he's coming off torn ACL, hasn't raced at all in the preseason, so who knows if he's going to be race ready or building himself up. But I think he wins his first GP this year. Yeah. And uh, I think Jed Beaton wins his first GP as well. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely, both classes are stacked. Both classes, I think there's going to be surprises. There's interesting things to like look forward to and watch. And that's all I really want, like, there, were, there have been years in the past that just were so, like, predictable. And although Prado winning the title would be predictable, I think that there are things that could happen to spice this up. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it's a long season, 20 rounds, you know. You 19 need to li- rounds. Why have we lost one? Uh, Switzerland went. Wow, poor Switzerland. <laughs> yep, that happened, like, two months ago. Okay. So great news for teams is that the budget's <laughs> been reduced. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I miss, wow. I, I miss that PR. So um, You should visit MX Vice more often. I, I thought Sweden replaced Switzerland. Sweden's just been on the calendar like since it was first released. Okay. I think. Now you've made me question myself. But yeah, Switzerland's gone. Okay, so 19 rounds. Yes. Wow. How, how, like, you just, what are we in like two hours of this podcast and now I just found out that it was 19 rounds so I've now, been telling everybody it's 20 you haven't said that once now let's run through the calendar for those at home I have with all the advertising and everything else <laughs> welcome to the 20 round MXGP championship yeah I'm off to write some emails anyway top three I'd said mine uh, Prado Watson Olsen yours I, I think th- you might copy me do you know what I was going to copy you but as we never agree on anything I'm going to change it so I'm going to go. Pr- 
Prado, Watson, Vlandron. I can't disagree with that. Olsen's just so consistent, though. Like, I, know. I, couldn't put, I couldn't not put him in my top three because he's just there. But on his worst weekend, he's in fifth. I think he's great. And the, and the other... <laughs> no, I genuinely do. I think he's do. great. Wow. Do you know, two, two riders which I am really looking forward to, to stepping up to MXGP are Vlandron and Olsen. I definitely think they're, you know, even, you know, and Watson. Or I think all the three, but all three of those riders have the potential. Yeah, all to quite st- big. Yeah. I think they got huge futures in, in MXGP. It'd be really interesting. And, and I already know from, from, you know, people talking how good Ben Watson looks on a 450. I think he quite likes a 450 as well. Yeah. So that's going to be really interesting. You know, this next generation of riders, which are going to be going up. It's certainly going to make that that class even better, and it depends on who goes to America, who who stays, who, you know, and so on, and, and what rides are available. I mean, the crazy thing is, and again, this is talk for another day, but there's less rides available, more riders, so it's going to be these new teams which are coming in, um, you know, like the the French is it SR SR Honda team. Honda are we going to see? Thank you very much. Are we going to see that team grow? I mean. Jada. I question whether they'll even stick around once Van Horvitz had his way with them. Okay, JWR, Revo, all these, all these teams which are, which are coming in. I mean, the, the riders what are going to be available to them over the next couple of years. It's going to be incredible. Unless more teams, um, you know, start up. But we all know how expensive this sport is, and especially at that level. You're looking at the, you know, the world. This is, this is Formula One level. Argentina especially, like to start the season checkbooks are getting blown wide open just to get everyone to round one after this there's 18 more rounds to tackle the interesting thing what what i've kind of learned uh, learned behind the scenes is that the checkbooks get blown open as well when people produce the results so the as in the people who are supporting them suddenly find some contingency money oh, just to, to give them more parts the teams themselves are then trying to source more money because they can see the results so i I'm really excited about this year, like super excited. I think it's the most excited I've ever been over the last five years of following MXGP um, as intense as I, as I do. Maybe you will turn up for the uh, flight to Argentina then. I'm there. I've upgraded my flight. Wow. Yeah. I should expect mine to be upgraded too then. Uh, if you pay, you, you, you can get it. I've actually um, paid out of my own money to upgrade my flight. What a guy. It's going to be even more heartbreaking when you don't turn up at the airport now. So as you told my bosses last week wow. about me missing flights and the cost of it, actually, I paid out my own money this week to upgrade my flight. So if they're listening, I'm saving money. Great work. Thank you. Surprise in MX2. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and what sort of surprise are we, are Just we saying? someone who surprises you. Like a 20th place rider going to 15th? Uh, 25th place rider going to 18th. What, a bit like Jacoby last year? Yeah, just or anyone. Someone going from, like, Watson Watson winning okay. 10 GPs. That uh, would be okay. a surprise. I've got mine, but the pronunciation's not oh, going to wow. be good. Oh, no. I think you know who I'm going to say. Rami? No. Oh. I want to say Van Moosdijk. Oh, wow. But I don't think it is. Oh, no, that is it. Van der Moosdijk. Is it? Is it? Yeah, I'm pretty no. sure that is it. I think that's my, that's my guy. What? Uh, EMX 250 rider. I said, fucking give up. I'm sure he will turn up in MX2 at some point. Oh, fuck my life. 
Whose idea was it to do a podcast and I'm, put me on it? I'm sure he was. I can't. I can't. Right, Lewis, compose yourself now. Can you get off the floor? I'm sure he is going to turn up in MX2 at some point this year. And at that point, he might surprise. So you can have that. Okay. Well, maybe if F&H are listening, maybe just put him up. I think that'd be a, a good a good move. I agree that he will do well and surprise people. Okay. It's just got a matter of the EMX 250 title. For fuck's sake. Okay. Um, well, if it's not him, I'm not really interested. Are you big on the Roan van der Moustache I am bandwagon? on that bandwagon, yeah. From what I've seen in preseason, yes. Sounds like you're driving the bandwagon to the wrong class. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably this year I'm going to concentrate on the EMX 250. That's fine. Yeah, it sounds really exciting. Video cameras and EMX 250 are your uh, big plans for this year? No, um, I'm actually stepping away from, from any type of media this year. Don't say that. No, I'm joking. That's, uh, but you will, not, you will not see me with a video camera. Okay. No. My surprise, yeah. MX2. Uh, shock, Mikhail Harrop. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Yep. Okay. You may be on the Roan van der Moosdijk bandwagon, but I'm driving the Mikhail Harrop bandwagon. And he will be in Argentina now. That's changed. Okay. Originally, he was only doing European MX2 rounds. Now he's going to Argentina. And I presume if it goes well, we'll see him in China and Indonesia too. What about um, the one which you said sounds like a Harry Potter spell? That wasn't me that made that joke. That definitely no, it was wasn't. you. Who was it? I'm not sure if the person would like to be named on the air. Okay. But but say the name so it sounds like the Harry Potter. What? Well, I, I don't think that's allowed. Why not? What? <laughs> oh, this is off the rails. Um, what? Uh, Gustavo Pessoa. <laughs> I think even he would find that. That wasn't funny. my. I, I don't take yeah. credit for that joke, by the way. It was someone else told it to me. Yeah. So, no, I think it was, a, it was on Twitter, wasn't it? Someone said it no. sounded like Wingardium Leviosa or Gustavo Pessoa. It was. Um, I don't know if a person would like to be named. Okay, we'll move on from yeah. that one. But anyway, um, obviously he was a late addition to Steve's team. Yep. He was actually quite good last he year. He was quite good. And with a full season, I'm not expecting much of Lommel, but Trentino, Matterley. He did get thrown in. The, was it, uh, wasn't it? Was his first round last year? No, Lockett was his first round. Was it? Okay. Yeah. They skipped Lommel, Lommel, actually. I can't blame I don't blame him. I would have skipped Lommel. I would have skipped You probably will skip Lommel this year. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not. Oh. That's yeah, good. I'm back from holiday. Oh, good. I made a little mistake on that one. Yep. Skipping Lockett. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was skipping Indonesia. <laughs> Got the dates wrong. That's, that's, that's happened a few times. So, um, do right. we want to do disappointments for MX2 or is that a. No, I'm, I've, I'm already having a shocking experience today. I mean, your disappointment is learning that Roan van der Moosdijk is in the MX250. Do you know how many times this is going to come up on Twitter? It's just... Oh, fuck. Yeah, this is, this is going to go on for a long oh, time. Oh, okay. Uh, my Mikkel Harrop surprise was apparently boring because I've gone on about that. Uh, my surprise, Bas Vassen. I keep... I've, ever since the Suzuki days, I've believed that there's something there and I feel like there's little flashes... I think he might actually put something together this year. If he lands on a podium, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, I've actually got one. Okay. My surprise of the year. And you're, you, as soon as I say this... Just you're... FYI, Liam Everts is still on a one two five, so he can't <laughs> be your MX2 surprise either. Honestly, I've never said swore so much in all my life. Um, no, my surprise, and you're going to love this, Brian Maru. Moreau. Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you. 
on a semi... Have I redeemed myself? Yeah, sure. Okay. Because we didn't actually mention him, so it's a good thing you got his name in there. Yeah. On a semi-related note, uh, Brian Sue is out with a back injury. Wow, he's had no luck. Yeah, and... Uh, I really like that guy. Who knows when he'll return, how bad the injury is. I just literally saw that he missed Lacapelle with a back injury. Maybe it's really minor and he'll race in Argentina. Do you but, think uh, it was that? What, too much violin? Too much I violin. don't think that affects his back. But... I don't know. He's, 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 he's had a lot of injuries. It's not really communicated very well how bad the injuries are, when he's going to be back. So who knows? I try. I really like him. You know, super amount of talent. He's, he's so, so good. And as, very stylish. He, he, as a violinist or as a <laughs> motocross rider? Both. Oh. Both. I've seen the video, the Fox video. Oh. Yeah. Okay, thanks for letting us know that. I wonder if it, are there any other, I mean, we know that Covington obviously plays the guitar. And sings. And likes to sing. So are there any other musical writers out there? Uh, I can't say I know that. I mean, I did do some prep work for this podcast, but shockingly, that wasn't something that I uh, pictured coming up. Oh, because music's not your strong point. No. No, Beatles. not at all. Oh, you're bringing back that joke. Well, I've like... got to. I feel like I'm down and out. I mean, I've just been threw myself under the I... bus. The fact that I'm I, not the... laughing extreme amounts right now is surprising. I just look at your face and I know that as soon as this podcast stops, you're just going to be literally outside in a car park on the floor. This was crying. You, were, you were scared of this happening. It's, it was going to happen. I'm glad I got it done. On, on You were so confident in your surprise pick as well. But to be fair, it was a good... If you kind of like styled it out, yeah. you could have like said that when he eventually goes into MX2 for the odd race, he'll surprise. Yeah. You just didn't style it out very well. Uh, Rob, um, if you could just edit that whole uh, last half hour, that'd be great. And just take it out and all the swearing. Fantastic. Right, so... Um, just do we bef- have a... Before we go on to MX Manager and things, do no. we have questions? No, we have a cup of tea. Oh, are we having a break? Yeah, it's like an hour. I'm, I, I need a drink. You need to recompose yourself. Probably a whiskey. Uh, in this break, James Bertha will be on the Rhone van der Moosdijk Wikipedia page. Fuck off. Scrolling through there like mad. Okay, uh, this is the last podcast you'll hear from me. Um, and Lewis is going solo in the last half hour. Okay. I'm off for a cup of tea. We're going to have a great time. Bye. See you in a bit. BMX This podcast is brought to you by 24MX, Europe's biggest online motocross store. There are hundreds of your favorite brands at discounted prices, so head over to 24MX.com to shop now. So, Lewis, have you composed yourself now? Uh, yeah. I feel like... I'm going to have to carry this show a little bit because you clearly don't know what you're talking about, but we will improve. Yeah, I think I just had a very rough weekend. I, I did drink last night, so maybe that's what it is. Professional. Uh, actually, speaking of drinking, um, we've got some questions again uh, from Spencer Wheels. Does that mean this is a regular thing? Uh, well, uh, people keep, you know, well, not keep because there's only episode one but there seems to be a, a, a lot of people going to Spencer now with questions and actually I believe the questions have improved from, from last week I hope so because last week's were poor at best well you know he, he's got a full time job <laughs> brutal wow okay um, so on that note uh, let's, let's, let's rattle through him so Spencer Wills uh, is it Spenny UK 71 I think so uh Okay, his first question. Lewis? I think that's for both of us, but... Okay, you answer first. And then I can check my answer in my head before I, even, I speak out loud now. Okay. 
try and stop laughing okay. as well. Okay. This is serious. Uh, Conrad Muse was set to be a top contender in MX2, but hasn't met the expectations of many. What happened, and will he live up to the previous hype? Which is interesting because we we talked about this. Yeah, this is like a really different take on Conrad Muse that I've actually never spoken about before. I think the hype that everyone kind of had in their head five years ago was that he was going to be a world champion. And time is kind of running out. So I don't, I don't think he's going to end up being a world champion. So in that sense, no, I guess he doesn't live up to the hype. But eventually I do think he wins GPs and overalls, which, I mean, that's about as close to living up to the hype as uh, you can get. It's not his fault that people put the world's largest expectations on his shoulders from like 10 years old. I guess let, let's go back to EMX 125 and let's uh, go back to when Stefan Everts had the, the 125 team. Yep, in 2015. Yep, Prado, Muse, and Natsuki. So what Nats- a team. Yeah. What a year. I mean, I mean, those three guys were on it. That was like the most invested I've ever been in an EMX class. Like, yeah. I, some weekends I looked forward to that more than MXGP and MX2. It was, it, was, it was great, and it's great to watch those guys. And I think that's probably where the expectation has come from because look where Prado is now. And uh, Muse was beating Prado in, you know, obviously 125 was a bit of a struggle. Comrade was a big, big kid. Yeah. Um, EMX 250 was beating him. Well, Comrade did only do one EMX 250 race, but he went 1-1, so that was like setting the precedent a little bit. And he got bumped up to MX2 off based off of that ride. So obviously everyone thought he was ready for, to succeed and ready to do big things. Yeah. But again, I just feel like maybe the most, the expectations that were put on his shoulder were so unrealistic. Like saying that he's going to be a world champion. Only two people, three people can be a world champion. Like it's rare that someone actually does that. Like look, Karoli's hogged the last however many championships. No. So like they're up, the door is rarely open. Okay. So to say if he doesn't end up being a world champion, to say that's disappointing is ridiculous. Okay. I think uh, just listening to some of the interviews that you you done with Comrade last year. Lommel one was very good. I mean, that, that gave us some insight. So there was obviously some things going on outside. Yeah. Which were a distraction. But things that he's, he had in August last year realized, realized what he needed to work on, realized what he needed to fix mentally, putting more effort into everything, all of that. So really, it's now, what, seven, eight months on from August last year when he had this epiphany? So we should see now the fruits of that labor. Come Argentina, come Masley Basin, come Volkenswald. This is a big year for him. Yeah. Because if he has another inconsistent, weird year that leaves people scratching their heads every other week, I think that will become the new normal. It's close to that now, but I think if that happens, again, everyone will kind of just be like, well, this is beyond help at this point. I think that given that he's got uh, a few years left yet in MX2. I mean, we'll see 19. Oh, it's older than 19, surely. Uh, Prado's 17. Hold up. I'm Googling again. Hold okay. the mic for a bit. Talk about yeah, something. Okay. So what I was going to say is I, I think he's probably got three years left in um, MX2. I've, you know, if he's where he is at the moment and he stays down, I do believe, you know, in a couple of years' time, he's looking good to be the guy. There's a lot of, there's just so many people though, because like, okay, say Prado wins again, I think the rules mean that he has to go up to MXGP in 2020. Yeah. So at that point, the favourite is gone. 
But then you've got Ben Watson, Thomas Olsen. I think Vladrin has to go up at the end of the year, so he'll be gone. But those two would then become the favourites. Yeah. So then how long does Muse have to wait for his turn unless he matches those riders? But what happens if um, Vlandrin goes 450? What happens if Watson goes 450? What happens if uh, we know that Sterry and Jacoby are going up next year? Muse was born in uh, April 1999. So what, that does make him 19. Yeah. So he has got time on his side. That's, that's actually a... That's a long time. Yes. Have I redeemed myself yeah. now from the MX250 incident? Four years, uh, yeah. Uh, who knows where the class will be in four years and if he can keep chipping away. But again, he needs to get, for that to happen, he needs to get back on a factory team. And to do that, he needs to prove himself. Like, this, this is almost like a clean slate for him, this new season. Yeah. He can't, he can't, can't, can't go back to his old ways of weirdness. Okay. But we know the good thing is the speed's there. We know the speed's there, and we know he can win races and be on the podium. Everyone knows that. So it's just the rest of the stuff around that. That's the hardest thing for people to get like nailed down, and he can do that. Yeah. So we agree that we kind of know that he was a little bit distracted with it, with, you know, outside of motocross. I think the thing he said is he just wasn't putting in one hundred percent. Okay. Or he maybe he thought he was putting in one hundred percent, and he realised that he needed to do more. I don't whatever, however you want to interpret that. Okay. And yeah, and I think we both agree that he's got age on his side and he can live up to the hype. Yeah. Good. I'm interested to see what happens in three years' time. Okay. Hopefully this podcast is still going at that point. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be going like from next week. I think that I'll be continuing. Whether we see you next week or not remains to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> two. Name three improvements the GPs could implement. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I feel, I feel like I needed to prepare for this one. Yeah, did you not, not know this one? No. Oh. Um, that was my bad. Put your pen down. Uh, three improvements. I'll let you do the first one, and I'll oh, think a little bit. Great, thanks. Just throw me under the bus. <laughs> I'm nice. It's polite. You know, you I, can go first. Yeah. I'm going to be in that little okay. room again next so, week, can't I? I'm not, sure if this was, I'm not sure if I actually said this on the last podcast or not. But it's something that I'd like to see implemented just because I feel like it could potentially work and I'm just interested to see what happens. Can, can I go first? You look, I've already started my point now. Opening ceremonies... This is the Lewis show. Opening ceremonies in a Supercross are amazing, really like hype up the show, great for fans, great for casual fans. I feel like there's some way that we can bring that to MXGP. Obviously, it's not going to have the same effect and I'm really not sure if it's going to work. But I feel like we could maybe do that, like... Before, between warm-up and Moto1 on Sunday, we have, what, two hours, three hours break? In that time, get the national uh, commentator to go out onto the start straight and then introduce the top five riders in MXGP or the top three in MXGP and the top three in MX2. Get them to wheelie out onto the start straight, do a little interview with them, then get them to do a hot lap where they just throw whips, wave, all of that fun stuff. Get some fireworks in. Like, I just feel like this could... Make not, the show a bit of an imp- just a little not, not small fireworks tweak in a day. No, but I just feel like it could be a small tweak that would like add to the show, add to the value of the event. Okay, I just I'd be interested to see it. I feel like more can be done from that point of view, maybe. Okay, so one is uh, you know some type of opening ceremony. And in fairness, there are events that do opening ceremonies, like Tushintal. They have people, not sure who they are, like walk on out onto the start straight with flags from every country to a song. Traditional song, something along those lines. Do they? How the hell did I miss this? I've been there like four times. <laughs> yeah, that happens every year. Um, wow. And it? then Sweden, they have a jet fly over, which is cool. A jet fly, points for that. 
like Sweden get points Sweden? for having a jet flyover. Didn't over. Switzerland have that as well? I thought Switzerland, oh, yeah, Switzerland did as well. But I just feel like we can incorporate the riders more. Okay. Maybe. So less jets, more riders. Or maybe jets and riders. If we can just get them... Riders and jets. Just even if they wheelie up the start straight, do a whip, go back. Like, I don't know. Obviously, no one's going to want to do that because they're all in the zone and have a pretty big task coming up. But maybe they can just find time in their schedule for some opening ceremonies. Like, imagine if you had Matt Lee Bazin. You had Tommy... Streakers. You had Tommy, Max, and Ben doing a lap, throwing whips alongside each other. The crowd would like that. Maybe the MXGP Awards next year, we could have Best Streaker. You're really going off topic. Okay. I um, can't see you lasting longer than episode one. Okay. Good point. Um, the, uh, yeah, so, so thanks for that. Uh, the second one, which I think we can agree on, is the MX2 age. That needs to change. Even two years, 25. If that doesn't change, then make EMX 250 21. 21, 23, and then... Yeah. However old. Yeah. I could see that's a compromise, I think. Uh, I don't know. I feel like if you... I think we said the same thing last week, but if you're in EMX 250 when you're 22, your window for MX2 is closing, and you're not going to go from EMX 250 to MXGP anyway. So you're just prolonging something. But then how long... How old are you on a 125? Or you just be, well, what, typically for an average rider? Well, I'm guessing 15, 16, if you're, 17. If you're going to progress up the ladder like the greats have, then you need to be on the in EMX 250 when you're 17, 16. But then there are riders which come into the sport a little bit later than, than other people. So people develop. Yeah, but if the age cap is 21, that's late enough. But it's like you're basically culling people who, who don't make that grade quickly when actually they could. I mean, look at Fepe. Okay, okay. Wasn't he in Supermoto before? Yeah, but okay, look at it this way. Are you going to have an EMX 250 rider who is terrible, doesn't do much, and then hits 22? Okay, here's a perfect example. Uh, Dirk Grubel said last year that he didn't sign, he didn't approach Darian Sinai to sign him for this year because he only had one year left in MX2 and they wanted someone they could work with. Okay. If you stay in the EMX 250 until you're 22, you're going to fall into that same trap and you have no MX2 experience. You're just, it's too late at that point. You can't wait that long. So you don't think they should extend I'd, I'd, MX2 to I think, 25? I think extending MX2 to 25 would be good. Okay. If they're dead set on keeping it at 23, I think that moving EMX 250 to 21 wouldn't be a bad thing. Okay. Just but, to make it a bit clearer, because having them the same age is a bit weird. And, and maybe kind of offer that up in, say, July. Yeah. Because that was a little bit late this year. Yeah, we covered that. Last year. We covered that. Okay, so that's two. Oh wow, three. Uh, three. I mean, do we do we say prize money? I mean, we we we've we've spoken about this. The the prize money and, and you know, I you and I say keyboard warriors, but like let's say that older generation have been so used to prize money, um, and have been so used to eighty people trying to do those days are gone. Like the the world is a different place. You're never gonna get a sport is a different place. Yeah. I mean as much as I, get, I do get frustrated with this, with 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 people not understanding the you know, in in I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate online for this, but I just think people don't understand the business model. If you don't have a business model within the sport, it will never last. It's just the way things are now, and it's been that way for so long that it is the new normal. Yeah, the riders are used to it. It's not like this this brand new thing that shocked the world. Like I don't think Bernie Eccleston done Formula One um, just for the love of Formula One. You know, he, he he made money. You have to make money. It has to be a business. 
if anybody's going into running this world championship as a bit of fun to help a few people out, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It will die. It has to be run as a business, which I, 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 I understand they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get the teams to pay the wages for the riders so the riders are on salaries. I, I get, I get that. However, what about the privateers? I'd like to see money for privateers. What, some kind of separate prize fund? or Absolutely, pool? yeah. I mean, if you look at this, you know, how many people would, maybe that's what would actually bring people um, into having those, you know, uh, a support class. You think about it, you know, it's a, it's a thousand euros to enter. Okay, that's without, we've already spoke about the distances, logistics and everything else. You're looking at, it's an investment to ride. Now, like in America, if, if you could, if you are going to spend that money to enter a race, but you could also win back that prize, like basically your entry fee, if you could win back your entry fee, an entry fee and, and say an extra 500 euros for your traveling, suddenly it makes, it gets more people on the ladder. You've got to agree with that. On a semi-related note, we've also said about how something similar to TPJ, but European GPs would be what, good. Uh, well, that's not something Ustream could do, but as no, an no, no, but, as the MXGP as a but whole. But for those guys who don't know, what is TPJ? Oh, the uh, privateer journey. It's yeah. basically one... Teddy, Teddy Parks. Yeah, it, I'm it, not sure if you'd call it a team, but it's basically one guy who funds a privateer team of sorts, and this truck, box van, whatever you want to call it... I love it, it's a great idea. ...takes various privateers' bikes to each round so they don't have to worry about that, which is sometimes the hardest part of the whole deal. But can you imagine if, say, somebody in the UK got together and said, right, six riders... Um, it doesn't matter what bike you, you're riding. We're it, would gonna... be, it would be especially successful for EMX, I think. Yeah. EMX 250. Hugely. But also, yeah, EMX 250, 125, the two-stroke class, and then any EMX 2 riders which would like to give EMX 2 a go. Um, but again, can't afford logistics to get there. It's, it's an expensive series if, if you are a privateer. Um, and the same for France and Belgium and so on. If, if, if they could have these kind of uh, Teddy Parks teams, I mean, that, that's fantastic. That'd be great. But... However, I would like to see, uh, I, I get it. I get that these guys are on really good money, the top five and, you know, the top eight and, and, and stuff like that. But I would like to see someone who's a certified privateer, then, you know, who's not on a team, who's, who's literally rolling up in, in a sprinter van and has the ability to register himself as a privateer and could be in a shout with some type of prize fund. Because who knows, you might get 20, 25 privateers knowing that their entry fee is going to be covered. It's going to encourage. I, I know. I know what you're going to say. You're going to get world cards in an event anyway, and also maybe you're going to get the slower riders in. But surely they have to qualify within a certain time. I don't know. Maybe I'm asking too much. You say qualify within a certain time. Ustream did have the uh, 108 percent rule a yeah. couple of years ago, and that got scrapped. It's been scrapped. It lasted like one round. Wow. But um. You say about money for so privateers. I, so you're saying that I could roll up on my 2016 KTM and it doesn't matter? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I'm pretty sure the 100%, 108% rule was scrapped. Really? Maybe it was only for certain rounds overseas. I don't know. I think I read somewhere that you have to be at a maybe, yeah, now that I think about level. It, maybe it was just for the overseas yeah, rounds. I don't think people like me. But uh, you mentioned money just for privateers. That's just impossible to implement because how do you know who a privateer is nowadays? Like, okay, these privateers, they need money. What about the guys that are paying for their rides? 
And not only are they they're losing money on a much grander okay. scale. How do you like how okay, do you categorize so, it? So I would say that a rider and a team is getting some type of support. Yeah. So he he's getting either a support package or parts or or something from from being in that team. That that's the benefits of being in the team. Okay. I would say that a privateer is probably getting funded by uh friends, family, local businesses, maybe a local race shop. So that would be my my interpretation of a privateer but again you can't have an official trying to interpret who is a privateer and who's not because that'll just cause bedlam there'll be arguments and oh i am a i'm a privateer more than this person i'm he's not a privateer at all so how do you know who's a privateer in in, in the u.s it's still muddied waters what was the uh yeah I, I guess you're right i was just thinking about you know yeah okay yeah, I've got nothing to, to no, say. You're no, you're right. No, you're right. Those people could do with money and some kind of return, but it's just if you're going to single those people out and have them as a separate thing, it's impossible to uh, categorize or however you want to. Okay, it. I'm going to add a little, throw another one in here. Oh, a fourth which is, one. Yeah, but from a purely selfish point of view. Oh no, coffee machine. Media tower. What? So you can see more. Yeah, I mean, what people don't realize is we're actually uh, the media access isn't. You know, and this, I, I don't get me wrong. Please don't take away my media credentials, but um, it would be so much easier if, as a media person, you could actually see what's going on in a race rather than, you know, we we don't get any allocated space. I think pit lane's fine, well, it and it's quite where good. Pit like, lane is. Yeah, but that's just the same problem for everyone. Like same for the team people in pit lane and everything like that. Okay. And maybe, I, li- maybe, I like pit, okay. I, I like pit lane. I think the whole media setup's fine. I was trying to think of an improvement from that respect, but. I think that's fine. Really? Yeah. You only like it because of the time screens. Yeah, that's what I need. So I've got everything I need. I like to see... Yeah, but everything I need is there. Okay. And I can talk to riders. The amount of times where I've been waiting for a moto to begin, and then some rider who's supposed to be on the starting line just wanders past me. But I think you've got... Actually, it's because I'm short. That is the issue. And you're really tall. That is the issue. Yeah, okay. So we'll just scrap that fourth one. It's because I'm short. Moving on. Okay, number three. In the coming years, Tommy will... Oh, God. Oh, sorry, this is, this is a good one. Uh, in the coming years, Tommy will need to rest his beautiful body. No, it's not a good one. Uh, so, oh, my God. In the coming years, Tommy will need to rest his beautiful body and step away from MX. Who will be the next... Oh, it is a serious one. Who will be the next breakout British rider not currently in MXGP or MX2? Not currently. Wow, this show is now going to go on for the next hour. Who is it? <laughs> I'm stuck. This is an issue. I mean, obviously, everyone's going to point to Joel Rizzi. Yeah. Because that's, the, that's because it's the obvious. That's because it's the only option. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing really positive things about Ike. Is it Ike Carter? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's Eddie J. Wade as well. Eddie J. Wade. I mean... Although he's, he's... half Spanish at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's probably had a lot more development from Spain than he has in than the UK. I think he's had a lot of great support. But I'd say, yeah, maybe uh, Joel Rizzi and Eddie J. Wade are... For two people to watch. Yeah. I'd love to chuck more names in there, but look at the EMX results. Take out, now that all of the veterans have been stripped from EMX, have a look at how many British riders there are going to be. It's going to be slim pickings. Well, interestingly, I do know of something that's going to be announced this week regarding helping the next generation of UK riders. I know what you're talking about. Good. So we know that something positive is actually being done. Yeah, but this is, you're looking... 10 years down the line for this to have an effect. Yeah, That's true. still a long time to wait. True. We're, British motocross is going to be in this weird flux, I think, for a little while, where there isn't really anyone. 
and we're all just waiting for something to happen. We're going to have a drought. Yep. Which everyone goes through, and we are spoiled at the moment with Max, Tommy, Sean, Ben, you Conrad, say that though, Adam. But, but look at Belgium. Have they ever been in a drought? Right now. Really? Kind of. Well, no, their drought's coming up as well. DeSalle, almost going to, like, retiring soon. Van Horbeek, retiring soon. Strybos, retiring soon. Gertz, that's their next hope. Lieber, he'll be around for a little while longer, but he's not that elite talent. Okay. Maybe that's a bad example. Have a look at the amount of Belgians coming up. There aren't, there's more than English, but not as many. Okay. Okay. Well, I think we answered that one. Yeah, that's a, and we actually managed to do that quite in a short fashion. Okay, number four. Will an AMA Supercross ever be held outside of North America? There were rumours of this at one point, but there that's kind of died down. I don't really know where those rumours went. Do you think that was because of logistics? I'm not sure, but either way, I don't really think it would work. Like, I almost don't want Supercross. Like, having Supercross come to London, for instance, would be amazing because it would be right on our doorstep. Where would you even host it? Uh, I was going to say the O2 Arena, but that would be way too small. <laughs> I mean, Wembley, but then that's never going to happen. I don't know. Wembley do do events. Not Supercross. <laughs> well, no, but, you know, if you're going to hire Wembley, you're going to have to try and get 80,000 exactly. people there. That's what I mean. Like, as Is much there 80,000 people in the UK that will go to a Supercross event? It would be amazing to have Supercross I come mean, here. I mean, we've got Arena Cross, and uh, let's just leave it there. That's, yeah. That's a series, isn't it? <laughs> um. Well, yeah, like I say, it would be amazing to have Supercross come to uh, come to London. Like, it would be right on our doorstep. It would be great and everything. But it would almost ruin it for, like, Supercross is this great thing because it's in America. It's far away. Like, do you get what I mean? Like, yeah. having it come I mean, here, it would almost dilute it a bit. The Australian Supercross, that's a good event. Yeah, but Could it work thing, in Australia? I'd, it's the same thing. I just, I'd almost feel like it's just diluting the series. Like, what's happening in America is fine. That's a strong series. It doesn't need to go elsewhere. Why fix what isn't broken? Sure, you can tweak it with triple crown formats and stuff like that. But I feel like I feel uh, like if you try and take it to France, try and take it to America, try, uh, try and take it to the UK, I mean, there's more chance of it going... There's more chance of there being more negatives that come from it than positives. Do you know what? I would agree with you. Um, but then you've got to look at things like NFL and NBA which are bringing those events. I just follow motocross, so I can't help you with that. Okay. Well, well, let me explain to you. So, okay. so American football, it's called NFL. I'm, I'm um, get, basketball's I'm called aware NBA. Of that. Yep. So basically, they're, they're two huge um, sports in the US, which uh, you know, have done very well with, you know, especially in London. Um, the, I, I can definitely see, I could definitely see uh, people... You know, look at look at Hawkstone the weekend. Actually, yeah, let's look at Hawkstone. Ten thousand people there, all paying thirty pounds to see, um, and not even a full lineup of GP riders. People want to see. I, I, I'm quite confident, actually, if you brought over uh, the forty riders, you know, from uh, you know lights in, in four fifty, and you charge fifty pound a ticket, I believe people will go. I believe people will go. I don't think enough people will go to make it look like this amazing thing that's the best thing that's happened to the sport in yeah. Europe. For It just would scare me. I'd be more apprehensive than I would be like fully excited. Yeah. I, I got to say that it'd be a, a hard task to get 25,000 people there. Oh, it'd be a hard task to get 15,000 people. If you have it at Wembley, which it's is just theoretical. People. Yeah. 
you're going to have to rely on trying to pull people from France, Belgium, and I don't think that's as easy as it Would sounds. it be as big as a nation's? No. Okay. So Especially that's... not if it's round 17 or round 13 and the points are a bit spread out. Like, I just can't see it. So do you think Feld looked at, you know, looked at this, kind of asked those questions and then said, can we produce I just event? don't think you should. Why try and fix what isn't broken? Okay. Like, okay. it's not going to, it's not going to, drastically benefit the series in any way i don't think so anyway okay i got i got nothing else to offer on that one so we're, we're gonna go with, with it just that. scares me okay so um uh, five james you promised tommy's mobile number if you if i gave you questions here's a question where's tommy's number I thanks like ever so much uh, yeah so um we're gonna leave that there so uh Thanks, Spenny. Looking forward to uh, the next five next week. On that note, I am going to get a whiskey. Uh, see you in a minute, Lewis. Okay. For everything in the world of motocross, head to mxvice.com, at Motocross Vice on Twitter, and search MX Vice on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. All content is now available in Spanish and Italian. The MX Vice Show. We're back. Uh, my favourite slot of the show. This bit. is yeah. This is the last bit. So if people aren't interested in fantasy, then switch off. You're not going to miss out much. You're not going to miss much. Yeah, I hope. Right. Thanks ever so much for listening. Uh, it was great, and we'll see you next week. But no, you've kind of put them off a bit too much there. We do have MX Manager, which is a great game. And if maybe you don't like fantasy, maybe you should try this one because it would help us out a lot. Okay, that's positive. Like that. Okay, please help. Cool. So um, yeah. I mean, MX Manager, I I love it. It's back. Yes, it's back. Uh, we have to keep saying it's back because it very nearly wasn't. So, like, it is actually back. This yeah. is a thing. If you don't know about the game, we've not played about the game. I think we're, we've only, is it a week? Is it less than a week? A week? A week since what? Since it's, we launched? It's been, yeah. Uh, less than a week. Okay, so we have around about, I think it's about 5,200 players. Yep. Okay, so 5,200 and something people have signed up so far, which is absolutely fantastic. You know, we're really, really pleased with that. Uh, for those of you who haven't signed up, then uh, we're going to tell you a little bit about the game, about what you do. It's very, very simple. It's uh, You get a budget of 1.2 million. Yep. Okay. Um, and with that 1.2 million, uh, you select uh, a manufacturer, if you want to select a manufacturer. They're optional. All, yeah, optional. They're all priced differently. Uh, for example, if you can choose KTM, there's more KTM riders, more chance of the factory team's doing well, blah, blah, blah. So they're more expensive than, say, Suzuki, which there are no bikes. So that's you, pointless. Don't yes. do that. Is, is TM got any bikes this year? No. Okay. So, so don't pick either of those. Step number one. <laughs> yeah. Some free advice. Yep. Uh, don't pick Suzuki or TM, which is a real shame. Uh, anyway, so MX2 riders, you, you pick uh, two riders who you feel are going to... Optional again. You can pick one or zero. Okay. Okay. So cool. So if you don't want to pick any MX2 riders, you don't have to. Yep. But you can pick up to two. Yep. And the same with MXGP, you can pick up to two. Correct. And then you have some extra points, which are uh, by selecting a team. So as well as a manufacturer, you can select a team, which will give you more points. Yeah. Okay. So, and the points are based on the positions that the riders finish in. For yeah, MX2 for, and MXGP. For MX2 and MXGP, it's basically exactly what they score on race day. Okay. So that's quite easy for people to, yeah, to kind of work, calculate, uh, you, know, you know, what points they've got at the end of the weekend. Um, how do manufacturers scored? That's a bit more complicated. It's done off of overall results. So if okay. you have, say you have KTM as your manufacturer, yeah, and uh, Karoli finishes first overall, you'll get 10 points. 
if Crowley finishes 10th overall, you'll get one point. Okay. If he finishes 11th overall, zero points. So basically, if you're choosing a manufacturer, you're basically basing your decision off of how many bikes they're going to get in the top 10. Okay, so if you get Herlins, Crowley, uh, Amstey, Monticelli, Coldenhoff, you basically got that's, five yeah. opportunities there of... That's incredible. Well, yeah, but it's realistic that Hurlings, Caroli, uh, Coldenoff, and Anstey will all be in the top 10 in MXGP most weekends. So then gonna... in MX2 as well, because both classes count for this. Okay. That's, with KTM, there's obviously a lot of options for big points, but that is why they're priced so highly compared to other manufacturers. Right. Because a problem we've had in the past is that everyone just chooses KTM, and that's not fun. So we almost did away with manufacturers this year for that reason. Okay. But then in the end, the solution was to just um, price KTM out effectively. So they now cost significantly more than anyone else, which will hopefully push people to go other directions with their team. Now, there is another change this year, which we implemented. And it was lots. I mean, this one I wasn't sure of um, because, A, I didn't want people thinking that we were after clicks because we're not. But uh, we have... Uh, this new kind of rule this week, uh, this this year, where every week or every round, uh, basically your team gets wiped. Yeah, and prices change. And that that is because the prices change. Because last year it became a little bit frustrating to some users who uh, picked. I mean, Max Anstey was a certain price after the MXON, yeah. and then obviously he had an up and down season, but his price still reflected off of. MXON. Yeah, and for instance, no one expected Ben Watson to be as good as he was immediately with Yamaha. So he came in with basically the average price, and then he was so good that everyone had him on his team. Again, that's not fun. Okay. So the idea is, with the prices changing each week, if if Ben Watson wins Argentina for Matty Bazin, he'll be the highest price possible. If he sucks in Argentina and finishes 20th, then he'll obviously be cheaper which means everyone can get a bargain for Matley and hope that he raises his game and pays off in a big way. So effectively, it's almost like bargain hunting. Okay. so um, that's... It's just more interesting. No, I, I like it. I like it. But it's, you know, the idea is to make the game more fun, put yeah. more variables in there yeah. Um, so that there's not too many people for on instance, the same points. For instance, last year, I set my team for Argentina and I actually won Argentina. And then my team didn't really get affected by injuries. So I basically didn't have to change my team the entire season, which was quite... I actually kept going on there and trying to change my team because I was bored and couldn't do it because I couldn't find anything better. So then I actually wanted to do it just to play the game. And I kind of had already completed it in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, any other changes for for people who didn't play? Uh, So Sorry, for people who played last year. Uh, are there any other changes? I mean, no, those are significant changes. Any, any more? Uh, unlimited transfers. So you can change your team as many times as you like. Muddle around with it. Do what you want. So even though you, the team gets wiped and you choose a team, yep. you can then delete the team. Yep, and start again. You can just change your team as many times as you like up until the first gate drop of MX2 Moto1 on Sunday. Uh, okay, so that's, that's quite a big advantage but- because you can watch then what? Free practice, qualifying, you can get all this inside information. Yeah, it's basically going to make it all a lot more interesting. Yeah, but isn't that going to make it too easy? No. Because surely if... if, I think uh, we had this exact conversation on the show last week, but no. That's okay. I'm quite old. I'm old. I've got dementia. (laughs) No, it's not because there's going to... You have so much data to go off of, but it's going to make choosing riders harder because say Dylan Walsh is first in free practice. You're going to pick him. Yeah. But then there's a chance, or it's almost likely, that he won't be first in the race. 
So do you gamble and hope that he's going to, he could DNF, have a bike problem? Then everyone who's decided to gamble and go off of a free practice time is screwed. Okay. And maybe you're smart and you know that you know that Prado isn't the best at throwing down one lap in practice. So he's 15th. Mm-hmm. If you're smart and you follow and you're like, that's all right, I still know he's going to come good in the races, everyone else might be scared of him. So then you might be the only person with a rider who goes 1-1 and that's obviously going to help you significantly. Okay, so question for you. So this this actually benefits people who take an active interest yeah. in MX management. It's just meant, it's meant, not only is it but, meant to make the game fun, it's meant to make following MXGP more fun. Okay, so so on that note, what about people who haven't got the time to, to you know, to focus on, do you, are you still going to do well if you pick... You know, I mean, you talked about last year where you picked one team and you went through the year. Yeah, the same applies. Like, you can set, you can save a team on Wednesday and it'll work. Like, obviously, nothing's going to change significantly. Maybe with the first round, there will be more of these, uh, what do you call them? Like, surprises and people who are great value for money because, obviously, we don't know what Mitchell Evans is going to do, what Dylan Walsh is going to do. So there are going to be more of these bargains and things to be had at round one. But then by the time it gets to round nine, you're going to know what you're going to get from certain guys and it's... You don't have to follow the stuff on a Saturday or Sunday morning. I've got to say, I did have a problem picking uh, Moose Dyke. Yep, that's because he's in the MX250. I'm, I'm never going to leave this one down, am I? No, I'm actually embarrassed for you. I'm not looking forward to Twitter tomorrow. Speaking of teams, yeah, who have you got on yours? Well, uh, actually, let's start with my team name. Go ahead. Lewis Sucks. It's a terrible team name. It's a great name. Um, so, manufacturer Kawasaki. Interesting. Uh, 70,000. I'm hoping that uh, Sanaye. Oh, I didn't think about him. I just yep. thought of FNH and KRT. Jacoby. And then I'm thinking of DeSalle doing well. Yeah, that's a good... Actually, and and that's quite cheap as far as manufacturers go. Yeah, I, I like it. That's actually a good pick. Well done. Uh, thank you. Uh, I've got Sterry. A bit of a gamble, but... 350. That's quite cheap as well. It's good a bargain. Value. Yep. And my second bargain is uh, Davy Puches. That's a bit of a gamble team, MX2 team. Uh, I'm, it know, could, you could get amazing value for money or not, but that's part of the game. Yep. Uh, MXGP riders, again, I've gambled. I've not okay. gone with, with Surat's here. I've gone with Tonus. Interesting. And Monticelli. Interesting again. And Monticelli, bargain at 150 And those prices were set before Hawkstone, so you can kind of already, similar to using the qualifying results, you can use the Hawkstone results and say he's going to pay off in a big way. Yeah. I bet that he's one of the most selected riders, actually, for Argentina now. Yeah, I think he will. Um, and the team I've gone for, uh, Monster Energy Yamaha Factory Racing. See, this is, a, this is something to watch out for. That's, that team is just Fevre and Sewer. Oh. Did you not know this? Because obviously, this is kind of a detail that you need to watch. And I actually just selected my team and almost got caught out by it as well. Um, so oh. all of the Yamaha teams operate under different umbrellas. <laughs> Why do you keep saying, oh, all of the Yamaha teams keep up. Uh, all of the, <laughs> you've done it again now. <laughs> All of the Yamaha I'm removing team, them right now. All of the Yamaha teams operate under different umbrellas. So you have Monster Energy Yamaha Factory Racing, Monster Energy Wilvo Yamaha MXGP, and Monster Energy Kimia Yamaha. So all of those are separate teams. Red Bull KTM operate under one umbrella and one team name. So that's why I can't afford So them. you can get MXGP and MX2 points from there. And the same Monst- with HRC. Yeah, HRC, that includes Geyser and Vlanderin. Uh, KRT, that's just Lieber, 
and to sell. Well, so you need you to watch out this stuff. But the prices reflect this. This can't, yeah. this can't come as a surprise to you. Well, I've been caught out. Whilst you uh, continue <laughs> to change your team, would you like me to rattle off mine? Why not? Uh, so manufacture, I've got Yamaha. Where did you finish last year? Uh, like 30th, 20th. Do you want to know where I finished? 154th. 145th. Oh, oh close. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I changed my team twice. Thanks for uh, delaying me reading out my team. So manufacture, I've got Yamaha, which is 30,000 more than... Kawasaki. Okay. But I've done that based on the fact that I think Paulin, Sua, and Fevra will all be in the top 10. Okay. Along with Watson and Gertz. So that's what I'm banking on. And I think Tonus can get in there as well, which sets me up quite nicely. Okay. I think there's more, but then they also cost more. So I, I might look at Kawasaki as we get closer to the weekend. Which are 70,000. Exactly. Okay. So I'm going to, I'll probably look at that. Kawasaki's more of a gamble. Just copying me. Kawasaki's more of a gamble because there's a chance Lieber won't get in the top 10. Sterry's up and down. He could be third. He could be 11th. The same Jacoby, he's probably a solid bet. But again, he does make mistakes. So that's definitely more of a gamble. And again, price reflects that. So MX2 riders. First off, I've got uh, Dylan Walsh, which I consider a safe bet for a top 10. And Mitchell Evans, who I'm kind of swinging for the fences a little bit. But based on preseason, I'm expecting, again, a top 10, which is a solid place to be. Like The prices are quite hard for, for the first round. So I think, I've, and those two riders cost 250 grand each, which, so I feel like I've managed to have a cost-effective team there that will be quite effective. Cost-effective, but effective. Team. Yes. Okay. MXGP. This MXGP prices are much more difficult than MX2, I've noticed. I actually okay. did the prices myself all alone. <laughs> so any complaints, fire in my way. Yeah, I'm um, happy to do that. We've got, I've got Van Horbeek. Again, 250 grand. That is cheap. But uh, circling back to what we said about him when we were previewing MXGP, who knows? That's why he's cheap, because who knows? Okay. He, if he's got zero prep time, not zero, but effectively zero prep time on the bike, maybe he'll DNF two motos. But I'm wi- at that price, it tempts me enough where I'm willing to have a chance, have a go at it. Okay. And then I've got Sean Simpson at 300 grand, which is actually my most expensive rider. So I've kind of gone for the old cost-effective manner. Okay, spread your bets. Yep. Uh, Sean Simpson, I'm doing that solely off of how he performed at Hawkstone before the shoulder injury. But why not um, pick someone like Crowley? It's too much. 600,000 euros is the highest price a rider can have. That's half of your budget. But at the same time, he's going to pick up potentially 50 points. Okay, so he picks up 50 points. Say Dylan Walsh picks up 22. That's equal to a 10-10. He can do that. Say Mitchell Evans picks up 24-9-9. But aren't they the same price as Crowley? No. Both of them together? Oh, yes. No, actually, even together, they're 100,000 cheaper. And if they do that, 10-10-9-9, I'm already six points up on what Crowley can potentially score. What, 10-10 and 9-9? Yeah. 10-10 is 22 points. 9-9, 24 points. 10-10 is 22 points. Yeah, 11-11. Oh, sorry. You've, uh, so 22 add 24 is... Actually, I think my maths is wrong uh, here. <laughs> I'm so confused because I was thinking about points per position. Oh, no, and this you're right, because 10th is 11, is 11 points. points, yeah. My maths is slightly off because 22 add 24 is 46, and Crowley would score 50. But I've also saved 100 grand. 
yeah. as opposed to selecting Caroli. But, but this is the interesting thing. And they we, can... And the, we're Caroli, arguing about two different strategies. Caroli is maxing out at 50 points. I'm saying that these two will be four points off of Caroli if they go 10, 10, 9, 9. There's the potential for them to do much better than that. Okay. But again, it comes down to a strategy. This is what people have to do at home. I guess Caroli's a safe bet. Yeah. Same as Herlin's will be when he's back at 100%. I'm proud of And uh, so... Finishing off my team, I've got uh, Bike DRT Kawasaki as my team. Again, that might change, and I might actually go the way of having no team at all. But I'm not, I need to kind of figure that out in my head whether that actually pays off because the Bike DRT Kawasaki team are only 50 grand. Okay. But Gustavo Pessoa isn't going to get in the top 10. So uh, I'm kind of banking on Sanai doing something for me there. Okay. But I believe in Sanai, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all to uh, see him on a podium this weekend. So if he can do that, big win for me. Gustavo could produce the magic. He could. You like that one, don't you? I love it. So there's also bonus points. Uh, Last year, there was bonus points for the fastest rider in time practice. Okay. Obviously, now that the deadlines have moved, that isn't an option anymore. So the fastest lap point has now been moved over to the rider who's going to have the... So the, the MX2 rider who has the fastest lap out of both motos, now gets the five bonus points for having the fastest lap. What, instead of having the points in... Time practice. Because obviously deadlines have moved, so... Okay. Time practice isn't... So you could actually cheat if you'd, if you'd done that. Because you could pick a rider, get points for that, and then... It's only five points. It's not going to make a difference. No, but I'm saying that you could have, unless you'd done it. So now the new rule with the points go into... It. No, because before... The pick's close. <laughs> I don't know what you're even trying to say. Before, what? the pick's closed before time practice. So you couldn't cheat. Bloody obvious what I'm saying. And what I'm saying is that if, if it is the fastest lap out of qualifying yes. on the Saturday, yes. then you could have chose a rider for the Saturday, got those points, and then deleted Oh, it. if it was the same now. That's what I was saying. Yes, okay, yeah. yes, obviously. Okay. So, we had to change, so we had to change those bonus points. Uh, right. The hard charger points, they're back. Same rule. Yeah. Uh, 25 points to the hard charger that's a game changer and there's no way to predict who's going to get that so it's luck of the draw a little bit so is that that's calculated by say somebody falls off on lap one yeah and they come through from 40 they make 30 passes okay but maybe fall off again at 20 when they're in 25th go back to 35 and come back okay all of those passes are counted it's not just start uh start position versus finish position yeah and i'm Guessing you're going to calculate that again this yep. year? Yep, and it gives me a massive headache. After I've done all my jobs on a Sunday night at a GP, I sit in the hotel room at 2am trying to write down every single rider's uh, amount of positions they've gained, and it really makes me question my life choices. But um, it's back because it's back. It works. Don't and, make uh, me question it because I'll begin to do that. No, but the, 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 the best thing which I love is when you actually get it wrong and then people question you. I don't ever, I've never got it wrong. Are you sure? But people do question because obviously it's a... It can get close at times. And actually, this is a good... So definitely never wrong. No, this is a good time to address the fact that uh, if there's a tie, which there is the potential for that, then the points split. So if there's two riders who make 24 passes, then they each get, uh, well... What, 12 and a half (laughs) points? (laughs) (laughs) No. I, I can't remember what it is exactly, but there's a there's a maybe you need we, to brush up on the yeah, rules. Yeah, we have a rule in place to uh, fix that one. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. So um, so free to play. Uh, MXVice.com/slash/MX-manager. Simple enough. Okay. We will be plugging it, discussing it on Twitter. We like one of my favorite things is actually discussing picks with people on Twitter. I genuinely enjoy that. Do you know what I love? I love it when um, when people. 
just randomly message riders and say, how are you feeling? You know, do you like Argentina? Yeah, I'm surprised people actually do that in MXGP. I think it's great. I think it's so funny. Because the riders are just like, what are these guys talking about? And they don't realize that it's because of MX Manager. There is one point we've forgotten. Uh, Prizes. There are 30,000 euros up for grabs. Yeah. 30,000 euros. It's the biggest one yet. Last year we had 20,000. This year we've got 30,000 just for MXGP. Is this the point where we break the news of that we're not doing MX Manager for the British Championship? Yeah, we're not. We're going to concentrate this year just on on MXGP. This is this, we're going to put everything into this one. So there's just going to be one MX Manager this year, which is MXGP. Uh, but there's more money to be won as a result of that. More money, and also we've potentially got some other people coming in with some fantastic prizes as well. Yep, like jerseys and products, and not just that. There could be some experience packages. As well, on top of that, we're just we don't want to go a little bit crazy and announce it too soon. We're just waiting for things to be signed off, and uh, when they are, we're going to let everybody know. Should be good. Should be fun. I hope you guys uh, enjoy it too. And uh, on that note, let's call it a day because is that it? We've been waffling. I don't think we have. No. Uh, maybe a little bit, but again, it's only our second show, and yeah. there are improvements to be made. So, if there's anything you hate about it love about it there's probably not anything you love at this stage but if there is anything that you think can be improved just hit either of us up on twitter and we'll uh we do read every single one hence why we know that people said the intro was too much waffle and have referenced that on a show because we do want to get better and obviously it's hard to it's episode two and we want it to be perfect but the reality is it's going to take a bit of time to work out the kinks and we'll get there in the end it's not episode two last week's was a pilot this is our second episode this is okay. officially episode one. This is our second episode. Okay. And um, also, we should note that uh, next week in Argentina, we are going to be talking to quite a few riders. This is something everyone's been asking for MXGP podcasts. Well, you've got them because as well as this, we're doing a, I guess, what would you call it? A post-qualifying podcast in Argentina? Yeah, we are removing the, the practice report, aren't we? Yeah, every Saturday night, I'd write a qualifying report, which was like 2,000 words, including quotes from riders, everything like that. Now that's going to be a podcast. So we've got a mobile microphone set up just like this. Quality will be the same, all of that. And we're going to set it up in the pits at each round, drag riders across, see what we can do, and then that will be up Saturday night. So we'll also reference MX Manager picks there. That'll be a good chance to refresh things after qualifying and all of that so that should be quite exciting but this is kind of new this isn't a podcast show this is just going to be kind of a gp update yeah Would this isn't say? a full-blown three-hour show but we'll we'll do an hour maybe i guess yeah on a saturday night and just we'll drag whatever riders we can team managers if like someone crashes out or has a mechanical problem we'll try and get them in to explain things yeah take questions from people and who knows if this thing goes well next year we could make it more of a live show in the pits and that's kind of places this could go. But we want to, there's lots we want to do. Obviously, we have listened to everyone who wants podcasts. This is step one. Cool. And we're gonna, we've got time to build on this. So Excellent. On that note, I just want to thank everybody for uh, sending in their uh, ideas and, you know, uh, things we were doing great and things that could be improved. Really appreciate it, you know, and uh, thanks everybody for the support. So uh, we'll see you guys in Argentina. Say bye, Lewis. I didn't realise that I had to. You're the host. I thought that was you saying bye. No, you need to say bye. Thanks, everyone. Let's give closure. See you in Argentina. See you in Argentina. This podcast is brought to you by 24MX, Europe's biggest online motocross store. 
There are hundreds of your favorite brands at discounted prices. So head over to 24mx.com to shop now. DMX5 Show. 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 Show.